I've tried to be fair to you creatures. <laughs> now my patience has reached its end. Tell me, or I'll... No, not my gumdrop buttons. All right, then. Who's hiding them? Okay, I'll tell you. Do you know... Gary. The Muffin Man? Gary Hoffman. Yes. Shannon. Tell me if you've seen her. She always bring the racket like Venus and Serena. Shannon Farron. This is about to get weird. Gary and Shannon. Let's begin this new chapter together. And let's start the work right now. Come over here, sit next to me. No, 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 don't sit next to me. That's not what we're doing. You stay the hell over there. Sit next to me over there. Together apart. Brochure's lucky. He gets to sit in the room all by himself. He looks nice again. Oh, Appreciate it. Like and Shannon more and more every day. Do you mean again? We're gonna we're gonna go through the language again, like we did just a few minutes ago with Wayne. Do you mean again? Like, oh, he looks nice again today, or was there a was there a point when he didn't look nice? No, just I am being... just applauding people that are putting on adult clothes through all this. <laughs> there's been a lot of shorts uh, in the building, uh, and what's weird is that there's so few people in the building. The reappearance of short pants on young men. Oh. I'm, I'm my own grandfather. Like booty shorts? Uh, no, not that short. Mm. <laughs> no, not that short. If we see a dude just, in booty shorts yeah. around here, I'm broadcasting from home. Non-essential at that point. Richard Simmons. Um, yeah. I am troubled that I'm the only essential employee. No, no, hold on a second. Like if You're the, not if, the if, only if, essential well, employee. Well, I'm the only one with the badge. I, I'm the only one with the badge. So like, if stuff goes down, you're going to be stuck with me being the essential person here. Did they just give up on the badge thing after Shannon or I what? I have no idea. I just, I I have a real hard time believing in this company. If they're so going to give me Can I see it? the first badge. It's in the office. Okay, I, the I, only I badge take a look apparently. At it. Yeah. Well, because I'm curious. I haven't seen it up close, so I don't know. It, is there a production problem? I've seen people uh, that I know that have worked here that have branched out around the country at other iHeart stations. Mm-hmm. They have cars. They do. Right. Veronica Carter posted hers a oh, couple that's weeks right. ago. From Sacramento, right? Yeah. Jake Navarro out in Florida. Okay. That all makes sense. I'm all right? you got, KFI. Just me. Come in here and do balls jokes while the world is collapsing. Can I do a quick aside? Yeah. Okay, turn your headphones down so you don't hear this. <laughs> okay. Ladies and gentlemen. If Shannon Farron is the adult in the room, we are all screwed. Okay, you can turn them up. You, As one of my yeah, friends said when I posted that picture, great, we're all going to die. <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> if, we're, if you're who we're lying on, we're screwed as a people. Uh, well, um, well, not for like the first hour or two because then it'll just be like, just drink wine. This is true. <laughs> wine and balls jokes. Hey, we had opening day this morning. You did, and uh, it didn't feel right. My husband I mean, was going to work, and he put on his Dodgers jersey like he does every opening day. We were supposed to be out there. Um, I had today off, you know, and uh, I was ready to get arrested again at Dodger Stadium. And he put on his Dodgers jersey, and he said, it's sad, but if you're not laughing, you're going to cry. Like, we, we're going to wear our baseball stuff. So we and, put on our baseball stuff, and you and I played catch, and we even – we even uh, had some batting practice. Which was not it, the smartest. It, but no one's here to tell us no. Uh, I also found out that, uh, Crozier, you'll be interested or not, mm. the lights that are hanging up over in the sales department, those mm. those big glass uh, light covers, I don't know, diffuser, whatever it is, 
They're plastic. I found that out. Found that out. Um, not glass, you mean? Not glass. Oh. Yeah. Uh, which is fine. I mean, it's better because had it been glass, uh, we may still be down there cleaning it up. So well, that was the banging that I heard from way down the hall in the newsroom. Probably, yeah. 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 I mean, but I mean, you need to get batting practice in. That's not. I don't is, feel bad about that. Is this the that. day you usually like take off and go to like hang out in no, a bar with friends she, or something? I don't take it off usually, but uh, Shannon was planning on taking today off. I was going to be off all week anyway because I was going to be in Arizona at uh, fantasy camp. So I was going to be playing baseball don't all laugh. week. It's not funny. And, it's very serious and it's grown up. Uh, it's not like Game of Thrones fantasy camp or like SCA fantasy camp. They where... get outfits and everything. Okay. You need to stop saying Do, outfit. Are the balls wiffle? No, we play We play baseball. Um, we played real ball today. Those hollow plastic bats. You know what? I hate you. But in a good way. Um. That was fun, and we didn't break anything. No. But it was a little sense of normalcy, throwing the ball around in the empty sales department. It does worry me that those salespeople have bats. They have full-size, 34-inch, probably 30-ounce bats. I think it was a cute promotional thing they did when the Dodgers uh, started their season last year. You know, way to get the sales team all excited they had a party they brought in blue and white balloons and they gave them all bats like let's hit it out of the park this season yeah and now they're weapons which is good i mean just keeping in mind which desks we need a bat in the office we could but you didn't notice the names are engraved on i don't care well (laughs) (laughs) not for long we'll take leslie's today of course supposed to be opening day for major league baseball the games would have started a few minutes ago on the east coast uh the dodgers game dodgers were going to host the giants that would have started i think it was a one o'clock game 110 first pitch that sort of thing it's it's weird it is going to be weird rob manfred the commissioner of baseball sent a letter to a bunch of uh fans basically just said we'll be here when things get back to normal and that's part of what uh, makes it normal very abnormal in terms of what we've seen in unemployment numbers. 3.3, I think just under 3.3 million Americans applied for unemployment benefits last week. Broke the hell out of the prior record sent back, set back in 1982. This report is one of the first to show just how much economic pain this pandemic is causing. When you think about this, revenue is down at restaurants, hotels, movie theaters, gyms. Airlines, car sales are plummeting, so car makers have closed factories. Um, the employers are facing loan payments and other fixed costs. One of the headlines from yesterday was that Cheesecake Factory would not be able to make its rent payments wow. next month. Economists are saying the nation's unemployment rate could approach 13% by May. And this is after a string of incredible unemployment numbers. And I mean incredible, incredibly good. As recently as February, the unemployment rate was at 3.5%, and they're talking about by next month that thing reaching 13%. The good news is that it looks like the market is on track for its first three-day rally in six weeks. The Dow up, uh, let's see, where are we at? I think about 946, 48 right now to 22,149. That's a nearly 5% up. For on the day so far. So that's that's good. The Senate, <laughs> in a very rare, lately, unanimous vote, passed the two-plus trillion dollar uh, stimulus package that's now going to the House. They're going to try to gum it up with some more crap in it. 
and then send it over to the president, although the president has said he would sign it immediately. Yes, it's important. Yes, it's necessary. But, man, when you see what's in this thing, it should absolutely piss you off. Let's talk about that when we come back. Good idea. Gary and Shannon will continue. Shannon, KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Oh, a little bit later, not coronavirus. And it, it's I can't say it's good news, but it's not coronavirus news. It's an update on that Lori Vallow case, this Utah mom whose kids are missing. She told somebody what she thought her kids were. The whole zombie thing? Yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Um, the, um, the Indy 500 has been postponed. That was supposed. That's Memorial Day, right? May now to August 23rd. We had an article yesterday we didn't get to about this is going to be the craziest fall ever. Think of all of the events that had been scheduled. I mean, Coachella and Stagecoach are just two examples. All the concerts, all the games, all of the... Uh, events that have been postponed from March, April, May, and then pushed into September, October, November. We, we got to make sure that everything is done by then, but this is going to be a crazy busy fall for a lot of people. $2.2 trillion is what the House is looking at right now in terms of this aid plan to get us away from coronavirus economic doom. I feel certain that we will have a strong bipartisan vote. And we take some pride in the fact that, as I said earlier, uh, congressional Democrats in the Senate and in the House were able to flip this over from corporate trickle-down Republican version to bubble-up worker-first, families-first legislation. And the arts first, Nancy. Don't forget about the arts. Uh, $1.1 billion in the Pelosi bill would have more than doubled the budgets of the Institute of Museum and Library Services and the National Endowment of the Arts and the Humanities. Uh, there is a place for arts. It's not right now. But it's not right now. 880-page uh, bill that I don't think anyone has seen the entire text of. No one had time to read the final language. In fact, two final versions were distributed last night. Have we heard the bubble up analogy before? Instead I have of, not. Instead of trickle down? No, that's a good point. Hmm, that was funny. Um, there are discussions now going on about what is what the economy is going through. It's hard to get a measure of the economy in the moment. Fed Chair Jeremy uh, Jerome Powell said in a TV interview that we may well be in a recession already, simply based on what we've seen um in terms of the the amount of economic activity that has just disappeared and the unemployment benefits that were uh, applied for, the $3.28 billion that were applied for. What we're trying to do here, what Congress, I guess, is trying to do is try to stop, sort of plug the holes in the sinking boat that is the economy and figure out how it is we're going to bridge this gap between a complete in many places, a complete shutdown economically to the periodic and systematic reopening of some of these businesses. Um, 
the best part about this, I think, in terms of what we've seen described is the small business provisions here that allow small businesses, once this thing passes, to apply for small business loans that a lot of times can be interest-free. Now, that's not saying it's a great scenario, but at least it's interest-free, and it, at least it will help bridge the gap for some of these businesses, and most importantly, the workers in those businesses who have been cut off from all paychecks, for lack of a better term, over the next couple of weeks and months. Many projects in the Pelosi bill were stripped in the Senate bill, uh, like a $25 billion bailout of the post office. But there are some agencies receiving coronavirus recovery in that Senate bill, including $88 million to the Peace Corps for evacuating volunteers and U.S. direct hires from overseas. Uh, $250 million to the IRS would cover taxpayer services, enforcement, operations support, $350 million to the State Department for migration and refugee assistance, $400 million to the Federal Election Assistance Commission to assist states with election security grants, and it looks like $30.8 billion to the Department of Education for State Fiscal Sta- uh, Stabilization Fund. You're going to see a... Um a lot being said as well about the simple checks and I simple in that that's going to be the thing that most affects the vast majority of people in the United States, a one-time direct payment to most Americans of $1,200, 1200 per adult. If you make up to $75,000 a year, of course, 2,400 to a married couple and then $500 payments per child. As your income rises above that 75000 for the individual, as your income rises close to 100000 the checks get smaller. And if you make not, I think it's 99000 or above, you're not going to get anything. The assumption being you can do it. You can you can do without the extra 1200 bucks. But we've said, you know, multiple times in a place like L.A. or San Francisco or New York City, $100,000 doesn't go as far as it does in Blythe or Eli, Nevada, or somewhere like Round Rock, Utah, or Frog Fart, Oklahoma. That's not mm. – those places, a $1,200 check is massive compared to what it would be for somebody here in uh, in L.A. Remember that place Nick found in Issaquah, Poop Point, or something like that? Poop Poop Point? Poop Poop Point? Was that what it was? It was Poop Poop Point, yeah. What it's about a real it? place. I love their platters. Are we talking about the same place? Their platters, yeah, the little mini egg rolls they put on there, oh, and little so meats, cute. And, yeah, the little blue flame. That sounds delicious. Blue uh, flame. Thank you. We the folksy name is a reference to the steam whistle sounds heard throughout <laughs> the area in the early days of logging. <laughs> is that what it was? Yeah. Somebody thought that was a good <laughs> onomatopoeia, huh? Four. All right. Uh, when we it's come on back, West Tiger Mountain. What we can expect from Major League Baseball on what was supposed to be opening day. Sad. We'll read to you part of the uh, sad letter that Rob Manfred, the commissioner, had to send out to all the fans, and why it's important. Why baseball is important. You don't have to like it. You don't have to want to sit through a game. You don't. You can even say it's a boring sport. Well, as Nick said, we are. Separately together. No, together Together apart. apart. Whatever. What'd you say? Uh, (laughs) I am sporting my Dodger blue. You are sporting your San Francisco Giants stuff. Yet we found a way to play catch together and have an agreement. Bridging the gaps. Bridging the gaps in the NL West. It's what we do. Bring world peace. God's work in this room. Mm.
Gary and Shannon will continue. (laughs) (laughs) How about you? just came in here and said you guys are doing a great job of dancing in the rain and now i want to go home i was fine up until that point i'm just proud of you guys that's all your live laugh love attitude is troubling what do you see the sign i ordered for the office oh no it's a live laugh love sign (laughs) in cursive yeah, of course. Pastels? Of course. Uh, yeah. Oh, boy. Matching tumblers? We put, don't, we we'll put it next to the foot painting. No. I love my foot painting. I haven't spent enough time with it today. Whose foot? Who painted it? Nick painted his left foot in the garden. I can remember Christy Smith. <laughs> Christy Smith? What was, what was his name in the movie? Daniel Day-Lewis? Uh, I don't in know. My left foot? Um... Christy Brown, that's what it was. He wasn't paralyzed. He, he had cerebral palsy. Is it cerebral? Yes. Right. Anyway, we talked about that movie for some reason a few months ago, and then uh, Nick said, I could probably paint that. And Well, uh, no, it wasn't I, so much that, Shannon. I, 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 I'll oh, take wait, the wait, wait. I thought it was a painting of his foot. <laughs> no, well, it, it technically it a, is. It was a slow news day one time, and I said, Nick, go paint me something with your left foot. So he did, and uh, so he painted a foot with his foot. No, yeah. I painted the well. I, the bottom of my foot was painted, and then I stepped on a canvas. Oh, that's not even whatever, dude. Oh, you? I'll it's go beautiful. Show you. It's yeah, it's really, colors. it's really nice. Each toe a different color. It's really Nick, well do you, done. Do you remember what I told you on Tuesday about uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, head of the National Institutes of Allergies and Infectious Diseases? No, I said I want to get a Dr. Anthony Fauci T-shirt. Oh, that's right. I just want his yeah. face on a T-shirt. This guy has been nails through this whole thing, right? There is a bakery. There is a bakery in Rochester, New York, selling Dr. Fauci logo donuts. And it's a uh, it's a donut with uh, an earlier picture of Dr. Fauci in his uh, doctor scrubs with his uh, CDC badge on, uh, the big white lab coat. So if you're interested in eating Dr. Anthony Fauci, you can no. do so in Roch- Rochester. Not even a little bit. Well, today was supposed to be the beginning of baseball season, Ray. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. America has rolled by like an army of steamrollers. It's been erased like a blackboard, rebuilt and erased again. But baseball has marked the time. This field, this game, is a part of our past, Ray. It reminds us of all that once was good, and it could be again. Oh, people will come, Ray. People will most definitely come. Do you smell the corn and the grass? (laughs) I do. There's a movie I've never seen. What? You've never seen Field of Dreams? Uh, Oh, miss, I've never seen Tombstone. I had seen. Or no, what was the one you hadn't seen? Roadhouse? Roadhouse. Roadhouse and Escape from I just feel like you're not an American now. Are you from Canada? (laughs) Canadians. 
I'm a descendant of George Washington. Okay. Yeah, so was Now you're just saying words. Yeah, that's true. Somebody, so was everybody. Uh, <laughs> okay, so Rob Manfred, the commissioner of baseball, sent a letter to the fans um, and said that we need to make sure that we continue to understand the importance of bringing baseball back. Not that it's the priority, clearly, but that we make sure that all of what we've seen over the course of the last several weeks and months can be celebrated together. And one way that we do that is through baseball. Uh, the, there was a, there's an opening day marathon on MLB network. There was a simulation of what the first day of baseball season would have been like. So if you needed to know the Dodgers beat the giants nine to two later today, um, Thanks in part to Mookie Betts and Cody Bellinger. They had five hits, drove in seven runs. They each hit a three-run home run Mm -hmm. to help the Dodgers pull away. Walker Bueller didn't do great, but it didn't matter. Uh, Justin Turner stole three bases for the first time in his career. Wow. Oh, uh, there was a rainout on opening day as well today. Uh, Let me see if I can It's supposed to rain later this afternoon. Kansas City at Chicago had to be postponed because of inclement weather. They're going to reschedule and play that on Sunday. Well, before a basketball game is played in Staples, that building may see a hell of a lot of people that need to be treated. Eric Garcetti says the L.A. Convention Center, hotels, motels, and empty sports venues are being considered as venues to house hospital beds. Any place is on the table, he says. If you go to a place like Staples Center, it's a small place compared to the convention center or other things, but absolutely. Whether it's the hotels, motels, we're looking at every place. They've been doing this in New York. I mean, there's a concern that the rate of infection that we've seen, let me rephrase that, the rate of positive tests that we've seen in New York would be echoed here in California, specifically L.A., And I don't think we're ever going to get there. We don't live on top of each other the way they do in New York. We don't ride subways with a thousand of our closest friends like they do in New York. I feel like we're not going to get that point. But but I understand what he's saying. We've got to make sure, especially those hospital beds. That's why the USNS Mercy is coming to the port of L.A. So that the non-coronavirus patients that are currently in hospitals can be taken care of away from other people. Columbia University is going to let medical students graduate early so they can help in New York. New York University announced the unprecedented decision to graduate its fourth year students early. So Columbia is following suit with that. I do have a question about the importance of volunteering at a time like this. Uh, not the not the importance, but but how people go about doing it. And I haven't seen any great clearinghouse of information for somebody who is able-bodied well. Hey, maybe even people who have had the virus before and are ready to get back out there and volunteer and give their time and effort without fear of getting people sick or without fear of themselves getting sick. I don't know what a hospital would do with a bunch of volunteers. Um, my wife was volunteering at a hospital and was told to stay home Yeah, uh, because they can't have people there. Uh, with more of, it, I don't know if it was for their safety or the safety of their family members, the potential they'd be exposed to it and bring it home and continue the spread. But I don't know any place that's doing a great job of making sure that volunteers are taken care of. The death toll in Italy has gone up substantially, uh, about 
8,100 people have died in Italy. That's the highest death toll in the world. Spain's death toll has climbed over 4,000. And a third of the world's population on lockdown. Uh, As Crozier mentioned, we're now up over a half a million people around the world who have tested positive for coronavirus. Half a million. And it's going up by thousands every single day. All right. uh, No coronavirus in the next segment. True Crime Thursday makes a return. It's been a while. It has been a while. And we'll go back to the old well that we like to dip into, the Lori Vallow, where are my kids well? (laughs) Gary, you know, it's, it's bad when you can laugh about the Lori Vallow story. When a mother who probably killed her kids is providing some sort of relief. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So why don't you just meet me in the middle? In the middle. Twenty hours a week. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM six forty live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Uh, Nick, you're going to start demanding things of Nick now. Well, I was just curious if we got a confirmation from Steve Gregory. We were planning to talk to Steve. Yes, up. we did. He's oh, coming did. on at eleven. Excellent. Good. We have a bunch of local versions of uh, the c word that we're going to talk about uh, coming up at eleven. Later on, we have another small business shout-out that's coming up in the 12 o'clock hour. Try to get uh, Tech Talk with Mark Saltzman squeezed in there as well since this is a Thursday. We haven't been able to talk with him a bit. We'll talk about how you can stay connected even though you're uh, you're isolated. Stay together apart, apart together. Lori Vallow is in jail in connection with the disappearance of her two kids. Now... Um, there are some documents filed last week in an Arizona court by uh, Lori Vallow's niece's ex-husband, who has the really been the only one who's been shedding light on what's going on in this Lori Vallow world. And Lori Vallow's niece's ex-husband said that his former wife knows the whereabouts of Lori Vallow's kids, Joshua and Ty Lee. Josh is seven. Ty Lee is 17. They were last seen in September. Guy's name is Brandon Boudreaux. He says that Lori Vallow believes her children are zombies. Now, you got to take it all with a grain of salt because these were court documents that were filed when he was battling his ex-wife over custody of the kids. So all sorts of crazy stuff ends up in custody fight papers. Right. So Lori Vallow's niece's name is Melanie. Brandon Boudreaux is the now ex-husband. And it says that Melanie told her husband she was she was concerned about Joshua and Tylee, Lori Vallow's kids, because Vallow and her husband, the new one, Chad Datebell, believed that the kids had been possessed and had become zombies. Um, and in fact, because this is court, you got to explain yourself. Zombies are described in the court documents as, quoting... Human bodies that have had their original spirits forced from them and have been possessed by either a demon, a disembodied spirit, or a worm or slug. That would be, that's a new definition of zombie I don't think I've ever seen before, but I've never had to argue in court in Arizona. Now, she shared concerns, she being Melanie, shared concerns that she's told Brandon uh, needed to die and that may indicate that Tylee and JJ needed to die as well. The filing described a cult-like religion that, in addition to zombies, included beliefs in teleportation and dark and light portals. 
that sounds like I want to read the book. Yeah. Well, this story, of course, is weird because Lori Vallow, um, her husband was killed by her brother. Her brother died mysteriously. The guy that she married, Chad Daybell, Chad Daybell's wife died back in October under mysterious circumstances. And they got married a couple of weeks later, right after their kids, uh, her kids went missing. Here's another thing. October 2nd. Just a few months ago, October 2nd, days before Tammy Daybell died, Lori Vallow ordered a $40 malachite and silver band from Amazon, her wedding ring. So she ordered a wedding ring two and a half weeks before her upcoming husband's wife died. Mm. A day later, she the, after the ring was purchased, that same computer was used to search for wedding dresses. Premeditation. Uh, the same day she bought her wedding ring, she visited that storage unit where she was keeping her kids' items. Again, you don't put your kids' items in storage if they're still alive. Across the country, in Arizona, Brandon Boudreaux, the ex-husband of Vallow's niece, was shot. A private investigator has accused... Oh, my gosh. I didn't see that coming. Has accused um, uh, somebody else of that shooting, Alex Cox who is Lori Vallow's brother. So not only did Lori Vallow's brother shoot and kill Lori Vallow's husband, he's also accused now of shooting Brandon Boudreaux, the niece's husband. And then dying himself at uh, at an early age. Now, if you're a small-town investigator, if you're from Rexburg, Idaho, I think is where this is uh, originating, You've never dealt with anything like no. this. This is one of those weird, uh, you need help Utah State Patrol or whoever it is or Idaho State Patrol to come in and, and care. I mean, and then the FBI, they've got to get involved in this if they're not already, and I'm sure they are. She was arrested in Hawaii, of course. Remember, she was extradited back to Idaho on charges, including two counts of felony child abandonment, misdemeanor risk, uh, resisting and obstructing an officer, solicitation of a crime, and Contempt of court. But again, J.J., the 7-year-old, and Ty Lee, the 17-year-old, have not been seen since September. Uh, the The idea that she didn't have anything to do with this is just ludicrous. And she maintains her innocence, requested Tuesday that a judge lower her bail again. It was already dropped from $5 million down to $1 million. But I don't understand how a judge would... Drop the drop the bail. She's not out, but the uh, her attorney said, as with any citizen of our country, Lori Vallow is entitled to all the privileges and rights that accompany our cornerstone belief of innocence until proven beyond a reasonable doubt. Otherwise, it is this innocence that Lori Vallow assertively maintains regarding all charges. But uh, your defense attorney are not concerned about a 17 year old and a seven year old that have been missing since September. Come on. Even this guy's given defense attorneys a bad name. And that's uh, that's difficult. To I just can't get over all the stuff that she got away with. All the bodies in her wake. And nobody thought that there was a problem with this woman. She just kept going on and living her life. And I think it's because she's pretty. Oh, she is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's, oh, yeah. I mean, she's pretty. She's in a small town. Yeah. Um, maybe that was enough for the cops to just kind of look the other way or, or just 
take her at her word that her husband was mouthing off to her brother, and that's why he shot and killed her husband and then died himself back in December. How do you feel? It's bizarre. Great. Why? Money's worried about you. Me? Yeah. What's he worried about? Thinks that you look ill. <laughs> Wait, from the video? that, Or is it your uniform today? Oh, maybe that's what it is. He's He can't see past oh. the, the orange. I think that might be what it is. Let me see if you look ill in this picture. <laughs> no, you look normal. Wait a minute. I don't know what if that's a compliment or. <laughs> okay, well. It, is he concerned I'm not wearing a very flattering outfit? I don't know. Anyway, you're fine. I had to, I had to stand far away from you. That's also part of it. Right. You can't take pictures together. All right, coming up next, Steve Gregory will get us a local COVID-19 update. That's the voice of reason we all need in these tough, turbulent times. Gary and Shannon will continue right after this. I'm begging, 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 begging you. Wait, can you turn around? Can you turn around? Just wait. Can we work this out? Can we work this out? Just wait. Can you come here, please? Because I want to be with you. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Is it sad that I'm excited to go home and watch more Tiger King? Like, I'm looking forward to it. Well, I've heard great things about it. Even Crozier was people saying were, they started watching it. And three in already. Yeah, people were sending me messages. I have only watched one, and some of the questions people were sending me about this, I'm like, that happens? That happens? But come wait. on, last night's gas quarantine theater oh, of so Tombstone. Good. It was so good. There's so first of all, there's so many great faces in that yes. movie. Because uh, my wife was, you know, Billy Zane pops out of that stagecoach. Is that Billy Zane? In fact, I said, wait, wait, wait. There's Dana Delaney too. In fact, uh. Billy Bob Thornton. Oh, a fat Billy. And guy. Jason Priestley. Right. And uh, is Kurt Russell wearing eyeliner? Yeah. But, I mean, you know, it was the old one. It looks good. Um, and <laughs> But Doc Holliday steals that movie. I mean, Val Kilmer. Every line is Holy gold hell. in that movie. Every yes. single line. I love him. And he's so sweaty the whole time. I and he still guns, looks good. One for each of you. And it was funny because my wife said he looks very effeminate in that role. And it's because he's sickly pale. He's, right. got, the, he's got the consumption. He's got right. the tuberculosis. Get that porcelain look on his face. Yeah. Somebody, uh, somebody said that we should they should do a drinking game for Tombstone where you take a shot every time Doc Holliday takes a oh, shot. Oh, that's too many shots. <laughs> You'd be done quickly. Yeah. Shut up, Ike. Uh, Aaron Katursky is reporting that 351 members of NYPD have tested positive for coronavirus. That's not good. No. That is not good. Steve Gregory joins us for an update on where we're at here in L.A. County. Uh, 799 cases in total, positive cases. Dr. Barbara Ferrer uh, backed off of her initial assertion that the 17-year-old from Lancaster had been among those accounted as a dead from COVID-19. She says that upon further examination, um, and I tried to ask her about it yesterday during the press conference, and she cited privacy rules to go into any detail, so... Um, she's saying that the Centers for Disease Control wants a closer look at his case and figure out if there's an alternate 
uh, cause of death. So that's current. I mean, it's possible that he had coronavirus and something else killed him. Well, and then they're saying his father had it. Right. And so um, so they're not they're not sure yet whether that was um, sort of an because I had asked it when when they found it postmortem. And I think I asked that was one of your questions you and I were talking about. Right. About if he had been diagnosed with it earlier, how would the treatment have changed or would have been different? And it was she didn't really have an answer. She did later. Uh, and her answer to me when I asked a, a similar question was, "Had if I go in and I get tested, because I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want her bumping up against the privacy rules right. dealing with that specific case. I said, I said, if I went in and I got tested and I tested positive, what's different about the treatment for me? And she said that one of the big ones, at least right now, where we are in terms of trying to deal with and trying to find the right medications to deal with the the, um, the symptoms, that I would then be allowed or the doctor would be allowed to ask me about experimental procedures Coming or, part of the or clinical tests, trial, clinical yeah. trials right. and that sort of thing. So right. that, that was that to me was really the significant difference. Um but depending on when they test and when that positive result comes back. And at what stage of the illness. Late. Yeah, and at what stage of the illness right. are you in. So, yeah, so I, I'm fascinated with that case because they say it's complex. I'm thinking, what? So, well, here's another reason to be fascinated by that case. As the parent of a 17-year-old, I need to know. Right. And that's why – that's how I set up the question yesterday. You know, that's a case that's got a lot of people concerned. Now, right now – I'm looking at the current total cases in L.A. County of those from 0 to 17 years mm-hmm. old is 10. Right. I can't believe that results. they would yeah. put that information out there without having a complete understanding that it was absolutely coronavirus that killed that kid. Like, why would you rush to put that out there? And that was kind of where I was headed with it. If you don't have all the answers, then sh- shut up about it. You well, know, don't 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 overly alarm people, because when we heard that, it was quite alarming. Yeah, because you. Th- Again, you think most 17-year-olds as being in perfect health. Um, and then – but I always go back to what Dr. Dr. Fauci said. Um, he called them one-offs, which sounds horrible, but that's what he called them, one-offs. You will have those that are seemingly perfectly healthy that will die from this, and there will be no logical explanation. As we would see with the normal seasonal flu. Not there would that, be people out in the outskirts of, right. of statistics that would die. Right. And But like your, you know, teenagers that are playing basketball on the court and collapse and die from no apparent illness. Right. And so that's what Dr. Fauci was saying. So I'm thinking, I'm wondering if this is one of those situations. But for them to put the word complex in there, that's what – that's got – that's got me very curious. That the case was complex? Yeah, that the case of this teenager right. was complex. So I'm thinking there must have been something Underlying. really odd going on there. She used the term extenuating circumstances yeah. as yeah. well. And I, I wonder if that – I mean, in her mind, she has a much better picture of it. But it could be a bunch of things, whether it's an underlying illness that they had that, that did, they didn't know until after. Right. You know, if uh, or if there was things that the guy was – if he was – a a consistent vapor uh, right. if he had lung issues that were undiagnosed Which up until is, that point. That's my question today is whether or not there's going to be restrictions on sale of tobacco products and vaping because they're, I saw on a national scale they're, they're pushing for that in New York right now to shut down all sales of tobacco. So, I'm so it's, making, it's exasper, exacerbating it that much? Yes. It, it, yeah, the, the is that lung, the right word? She put a T in there. Yes. Exacerbating. Exactly. <laughs> You know what I'm trying to say. I know exactly what you're trying to say. But but when I hear that, I'm just like, what? 
I think for a minute I was thinking sexual distancing. Um, no, that's a no. But uh, no, seriously, the, the, yeah, that's the problem is that this is a severe, it's a SARS. It's a, it's mm-hmm. a severe acute respiratory uh, disorder. Because I saw a woman outside. We're, we walk out yesterday, oh Gary gosh. and I. This is great. And I were just walking out the door and I said, why do I smell cigarettes? Yeah. Come around and the corner. Right the around bushes. the corner. And then there's a woman there smoking oh. a cigarette. And I said, oh, it smells so good. Uh, and she says to us, because I was trying to spin the, because the, I was like, why, why am I smelling cigarettes right now? Like, who's doing that? Who's smoking right now? And she says to us, I don't even smoke anymore. I quit a long time ago. Oh, she was nervous? Yeah. yeah. Freaking out? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, but they say that's one of the reasons why there was a large population of men in China and in northern Italy that that caught this quickly and died because they were just chain smokers. Right. And and that was one of those um, – that may be one of the reasons that – this has affected men more than it has affected women. There are more positive cases among the male population than, and, and it simply, or could simply be because they tend to have, uh, they tend to smoke more, they tend to work in mines, things like that, yeah. that would that would compromise their lung capacity and that sort of thing. So, the total deaths right now we're at thirteen, and you know, then that includes also uh, deaths in Long Beach, and in most cases thus far. Uh, that we've been told every one of these deaths has been someone who's had an underlying medical condition. Well, Sheriff Villanueva is about to piss off a lot of people because he says now gun and ammo stores are not considered essential businesses and will cease to sell to the general public. There is an exception for security guard companies uh, that uh, they will be permitted to sell ammo to security guard companies. Hmm. They will. He also will let you pick up your firearm if you've already purchased it and you have the certificate and everything. But uh, this is not going to go over well. And already some supervisors want to take control from Alex Villanueva. Yes, and I think that's why today's press conferences are going to be very interesting. I bet. <laughs> Stick around. We'll talk about okay. that when we come back. We will get an update again today at 1230, like we have every day from the L.A. County Department of Public Health. And uh, like Steve said before the break, this is going to be quite the press conference because the sheriff now has come out and said that gun and ammo stores are not essential businesses and will not be able to be open for business. And again, I'm wondering what kind of congressional issue, uh, excuse me, constitutional constitutional issue that's going to bring up. My understanding was that he was going to wait for guidance from the state on that. He did. Oh, he did. And so that's this what is... he, he did yesterday when the, govern, when the governor announced that he's deferring to all of the 58 counties sheriffs. Which is good for the governor to do. But that was the <laughs> limit of his consultation is he, he listened to the press conference with the governor. And the governor announced regarding the gun <clears throat> issue, I'm going to defer to the state or each county's sheriff to make those decisions. So that, Boy, we've come a long way in 100 years, haven't we? Well, and here's the issue because obviously there's a ton of legal issues here. And I, I suspect that there will be somebody probably filing some sort of lawsuit or injunction um, on this measure. Uh, but he kept calling it gun panic buying is what had concerned him the most. And he referred to the people, you know, this, there's this big run on guns and weapons. And he says, I don't think gun panic buying 
is very smart, basically. Well, his and the, I know that the um, you know how to panic people. <laughs> tell them they tell can't them buy they the can't guns. have a gun. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons was, or some of the reasons he he talked about the threat of a first time gun owner mm-hmm. in a crowded house where everyone's home all the time. Uh, the the potential for an accidental discharge to be even higher, or the potential for suicides or domestic violence. I get it. I mean, I understand that part of that logical concern of his. But uh, it, there's no – that's a concern he has. There's no proof that that would happen or that that's going to happen. Right. And I think that um, – I'm telling you, I think he's taken on a battle that he shouldn't at this point. I mean, just based on my experience in covering these issues, uh, I'm just – I think that there are plenty of other things that there could be focused of uh, He has screwed everything on. up. Every <laughs> okay. big moment that uh, he has been at the forefront of has been – which I believe is why the bungled board board of supervisors is uh, working to get him removed as the head of the emergency operations center. Yeah, three right. supervisors say that they want to remove him. They say that this is months in the making, and that it comes from the need to centralize. Centra- why can't I read today or speak? Well, centralize it's dark in here. Uh, disaster operations after that bad response to the Woolsey fire. Yeah, yeah, that in November they they initially talked about this. Yeah. Well, they, I, I know that that's been something that's been been kicked around. I didn't know they were going to go that far with it, but but see that all, it's also one of the reasons why he split away his press conferences from. Remember, he was together with the right. board of supervisors a week ago. He hasn't gotten along with the board of supervisors since he was elected. I mean, they've gone back and forth and fought over sure. a variety of things, hiring decisions, spending. Really, at every turn, there's still decisions that are pending in courts right now over his operational duties and what he can and can't do. Well, to to this topic of him being the head of emergency operations, it it makes sense for him to deal with the sheriff's department, one of the largest law enforcement agencies in the entire country, mm-hmm. period. Just keep that. Let's nail that down and not make this guy worry about uh Coordinating medical care for different facilities around the entire county, coordinating with state and federal officials for for that type of health emergency transportation. I mean, those types of things are not his wheelhouse. If he's a law enforcement guy, I want him to be in charge of the number one law enforcement agency in the county and not be distracted by the other emergency operations stuff. A, a place like Los Angeles County with a population of 15 million or 12 million, whatever it is, that that is larger than some states who have their own emergency operations center. So why not – why don't we have – whether it's the chief executive for the county or somebody involved, uh, somebody in the pipeline already, that in the event that something like this happens, they immediately get vaulted up to that position. Well, you do have a person that's head of Office of Emergency Management. You do have an executive that's already in that title. It's just that it falls under the purview of the sheriff's department because that's the way the hierarchy is for these – types of operations, it all falls under the purview because it's public safety and public safety is purview of the sheriff. So you do have an executive office of emergency management and then like on the state level, office of emergency services, then it branches out and then there's all kinds of things going on. So um, it's one of these situations where he's got people in charge of all of those sort of mechanisms you mentioned, but he still directs it and he can still say yay or nay. And I believe that's probably what the board of soups at least some of them are worried about is that he does have the ability to um say yes and no and that could that could gravely uh impact things
the three supervisors that we're talking about, Catherine Barger, who is currently the chair of the Board of Supervisors, uh, Sheila Kuehl, Mark Ridley-Thomas, those three were the ones quoted in the L.A. Times as saying that they're in favor of this, not necessarily as a diss to Alex Villanueva, but uh, Sheila Kuehl, for example, says, I-, I couldn't imagine anyone that would say that the sheriff should be coordinating all the health departments and the homelessness outreach and placement in housing uh, sit- when he should be concerned with law enforcement. Well, um, there's a lot under that, you know, and, and, and as I mentioned, <clears throat> I'm not defending or, or, or debating one way or another. I'm just telling in the structure in that system, in that incident management system, there are key people already in place, but they do have to they do have to answer to somebody. Also law enforcement related, the FBI has arrested a low key actor, Keith Middlebrook, because he went on social media and said that his company, Quantum Prevention C V, had discovered a patent pending cure for coronavirus <laughs> and had Magic Johnson among his, his early investors. He delivered pills to an undercover agent, promised profits of 200 to 300 million on a one million dollar investment. He's been charged with wire fraud, faces a prison sentence of 20 years. FBI apparently checked with Magic Johnson. He's like, I have no idea. Apparently, this guy, his name's Keith Middlebrook. He posted videos on Instagram alleging his cure, which included unnamed pills and an injection. They would both cure someone with the disease with the disease and prevent someone from getting it in the future. He played a small role in Moneyball, apparently. How are you keeping yourself safe? Me? Yes. Oh, I am doing everything I'm supposed to, and I'm wiping everything. My hands are so dry right now from, you know, washing hands and cleansing and, you know, and sanitizer and a whole nine yards. But I don't really veer off many places. There are a couple of restaurants I pick up food. My 7-Eleven over here, I get my double big gulp. And, you know, I'm up to 22 cups, I think, in the back seat now. A day? No. Oh, one. you mean in the in total. Got it. Because you have to buy a new cup every new time. New cup every time. So at the end, I'm going to have one hell of a recycling visit. Uh, <laughs> but That's really your, uh, the cross that you've had to bear through this whole thing. No, you using know. using new cups. Yeah, I know. I'm just, as soon as I'm done, I don't get out of here until about 10 at night. So I go right home, go to bed, and then come in here and do it all over. So it's really not that big a deal. Conway makes you stay that late? Well, it's just that there are other other duties going on that have to be done, but duties. Uh, <laughs> hey, that's my lane. Stay out of it. I was exacerbating the other day. Oh, um, oh in, the front wow. of, in front of somebody, or um, huh? Never mind. So. Can you stop talking about masturbation. I didn't. Okay, but uh, no, you know, uh, where everyone's just doing what they're supposed to do. Twelve thirty today is the uh, the county update, and uh, will the. Uh, We'll definitely hear your question, right? I, yeah. We'll hear another question. I, have you noticed it, too? He did it again. The guy who's announcing the calls and the mm-hmm. questions, he did it again. He said, Steve Gregory from KFI News. Actually, yesterday no. he said Steve Gregory. Yeah. That, <laughs> you know, I think what's happening is there are all these services. They're having to book them. And so we're getting these different moderators every time. So, mm. But the one that's always laughing is one of my colleagues. It's got a very complicated last name. Claudia, Claudia. Yeah. yeah, We they, joked they, about they, that. They've uh, pronounced you? her name differently yeah. every day. Prosciutto. Claudia <laughs> Prosciutto. It's not that hard. Pascucia. Pascucia. Yeah. Uh, P- Pachetta. I saw Pachetta was the first one. But, um, yeah, it's it, the thing that we're trying to get them to do now is quit cutting us off. Because we'll talk and we don't get to... F- do a follow-up. That's why there's a rapid fire. All of us are going, uh, yes, doctor, we'd like to find out this, and we want to find out this, we want to find out this, we want to find out this. Because we get cut off. Right. 
after you're done. All right, Steve, thank you. Bye, guys. Uh, coming up next, some couples are finding this a tough time being quarantined at home together. Susan Campos writes for LA Magazine, and she's been checking in with couples. This is what she writes about, uh, and she'll she'll tell us what the range is of of reactions to this when you think about your significant other. Carrie and Channa will continue. If you feel it, could you let me know? Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Well, Wall Street looks nice today, up about 1,015, nearly 5% gain there. Looking for the third straight good day in weeks. We are expecting uh, the House to vote probably today on the $2.2-plus trillion stimulus package that passed the Senate last night, unanimously, by the way, 96 to nothing. Uh, we do expect the president, he has said he would vote, uh, or I'm sorry, he would sign it immediately when it hits his desk. At 1230 today, we're going to get our L.A. County update uh, numbers in terms of coronavirus and response. And we expect to hear from Dr. Barbara Ferrer once again later in the show uh, when she calls us. Well, we are all holed up together uh, at home, working from home. Some people spending a lot more time with their significant other than usual and it looks like as you could imagine some couples are okay some are not okay (laughs) susan campos writes for los angeles magazine joins us now uh with uh checking in on these people and and how's it looking out there susan well thanks for asking hi shannon i just it's been so crazy for so many people because you're used to being with your significant other but not 24-7, so social distancing inside your own home has a whole new meaning. Uh, It makes people want to go for walks, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah, that is for sure. There are people who want to go for walks, and there are also young people who maybe there are three guys living together, and then they all have girlfriends, so there are six people in one apartment building. I spoke with one couple, and they said, we don't even want to walk back up into our apartment building because – We have to deal with one another, but also we have to deal with four other people. And they're all wanting to watch different virtual exercise videos. And it's just, it's insane. So what about the couples that are having a hard time with this, uh, that usually don't see each other very often? So I spoke with one couple this morning and they said that she basically has OCD. He's kind of messy. And then their son is home from college. So she was just going insane, right? So she's trying to keep that the apartment clean. She's trying everything, and they're just messing everything up. They had a big powwow last night, and basically the deal was that the two men were going to have to clean the toilets, and that was the deal, and she'd get a prescription of Xanax. <laughs> I was wondering so that about was, that. that. Was I, was, I was wondering if doctors are uh... – are relaxing their relaxing those rules when it comes to Xanax and, and getting through this because I would imagine that people that have anxiety normally just once in a while are feeling that more. You know, Gary never has anxiety, but he does now. Right. Well, Gary, you must. I mean, everybody has anxiety. I think we're all anxious, and so when you're with someone else all the time, little things they did that got on your nerves really get on your nerves now. And even the way that say one. 
a couple's living together, and she likes to go out and go to the grocery store. She'll wear a mask or gloves, but he doesn't even like that she's going to the grocery store, so he thinks that she's possibly a carrier of the coronavirus, so he doesn't even want to be near her in the house. And so she said, we don't even have sex anymore, but then I spoke with another couple, and they're like, we're bored all the time, and we just say, should we go have sex again? That's, I don't. I didn't realize that that was a question that you could ask it like that. I didn't know that that was a thing where you're like, well, I got nothing to do and uh, kind of cleaned up the garage and the backyard's raked. You want to go do it? I didn't know that that was an option. Let's just go have sex again. I, I think that at this point, people don't know what to do with their time. And I think that's actually the key is kind of setting ground rules that let's try to be more productive. There's, uh, one family, and they said that the the husband and wife, they're actually taking Spanish lessons together so that they're kind of trying to do things that they normally wouldn't do. Or they're all of a sudden, they're having a family dinner. They never had family dinner before. So there are some benefits that actually come from it, too. Yeah, I think some families and couples will get closer together, will become closer. Uh, and I think that some will not survive. <laughs> I, I completely agree. And that's funny you say that because I spoke with a high profile divorce lawyer this morning and I said, are you getting more calls? And he said, definitely, I'm getting more calls. People inquiring about divorce, he said. And as each week goes on, I guarantee it's going to go up more and more. Wow. That's that's disheartening. It I is. mean, it just we, we're, that we're it so I, I listen. I know that my wife does not want to have me around 24 hours a day, but. I don't think that this is going to put a test. Uh, this is going to put so much pressure on the relationship that she starts thinking, oh, it's time. If I'm going to do it, I got to pull the plug now. Yeah, but you're not an annoying person. You know, you, t- you tell her that you, you're fairly <laughs> quiet. Well, because I stay out of the way. I yeah. know that there's a limit to, right. to this. So I know that I know that, you know, you're I, not a lot to deal with. I think she may disagree with you. Oh. Well, maybe you're super annoying at home. I don't know. Uh, Susan Campos, you can follow her at How Did They Meet on Instagram. She will introduce you to couples and all the crazy ways that they met. She also writes for Los Angeles Magazine. Susan, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you both. Thanks. You bet. I, uh, it's just a funny... The other thing about what we're seeing over the last couple of weeks, people being shut in and still trying to stay in touch with other people... That there's a, a still a feeling of disconnectedness. You can call, you can Zoom and Skype and FaceTime and do all of these things to stay in touch with people so that you know what's going on. But my parents, for example, I know it's not advisable for me to visit my parents for, for some time. I don't know how long that time is going to be. That's more frustrating to me. I can call them every day and keep up with what's going on, but it's frustrating to know that you're not supposed to go. You know, not that I had any trips planned, yeah. but it's just the knowledge that, you that you're can't. not supposed to. Right, right, right. So. Well, there is a little bit of good news about opening day not going on. I mean, the Giants won't be in last place oh, for at least a couple of now? months. Really? I You pick the Giants of all the teams to pick on right now? Don't you think the most the most happy team in the world that we don't have baseball today is the, the Houston Astros, Astros? Totally. But you're a Giants fan, so I... So that's what you did. I'm sorry. You're yelling. I am not yelling. <laughs> I am simply stating. I'm sorry. I just thought it was funny, and I wanted to share it.
we did miss the all unifying aspect of the uh, absolute hatred of the Houston Astros today. Too. Right. That's what I mean. It's uh, they're the ones who are happy. They, uh, if you wanted to pin this on anybody, you pin it on the Houston Astros, and I mean the whole coronavirus thing. Yeah, they're the ones. They, I think they went a little overboard in trying to distract people from their cheating, cheatingness. But coming up next, how to save the casinos? How is Vegas going to survive this thing? They are burning through cash. It's like fourteen million dollars a day. Fourteen and a half million dollars a day. Oof. Gary and Shannon will continue. I didn't mean that Giants thing. That wasn't very nice, and we should be nice to each other. It's going to be eighty-two degrees on Tuesday. Wow. Here? Here. It was 36 degrees when I woke up this morning at my house. It's going to be 82 degrees on Tuesday. People are going to go nuts. Do you slide on all your nights like this? Do you try on all your nights like this? Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640 Live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Big news today. We now have crossed that half million mark in terms of confirmed cases of coronavirus around the world. 511,000. There have been almost 23,000 deaths associated with COVID-19. In the United States, we're up over 70,000 confirmed cases. In California, up over 3,000 confirmed cases. And in L.A., right at about 800. We're going to get an update at 1230 from L.A. County officials about what it looks like here. Um, and it could be an interesting one for a couple of different reasons. could be an interesting update because of the sheriff's decision to, uh, in fact, shut down gun sales and ammunition sales as saying it's non-essential business. But also the uh, the push by some county supervisors to get him out of the role of emergency operations coordinator for the county. Uh, not necessarily because of this. The timing is uh, is interesting, we'll say that. On what was supposed to be a, supposed to be opening day for Major League Baseball. Yeah, it's sad. Um, you know what else is sad? I mean, we've been focusing a lot on small businesses and what they're going to need to survive. But some bigger industries are going to need help, too. Las Vegas casinos, they're saying may just have five months to stay afloat. They're burning through $14.5 million each a day. Because they were told to close down operations for a month. Now they're trying to figure out if they can keep their workers employed. They are they have zero income moving in. And operators are saying they have about five months before they run out of cash completely. Yeah, one of them specifically, Penn National, Penn Nationals, burning about six and a half million dollars a day, keeping things open, keeping the lights, some of the lights on, etc. And that they've got just about five months before they run out of money. Now, others are in a better position. MGM, for example. MGM, as much as it's paying $14.5 million a day, is probably got about nine months' worth of cash available. Which is – the casinos and the industry that that is are in a better position probably than any others. The question is how long they're going to be shut. The governor of Nevada, uh, Steve Sisolak. Even though there's been a whole lot of controversy, ordered that casinos shut down for those 30 days. Will it expand? Will it extend beyond that? It's hard to say. Uh, it, would this be one of the industries that opens up on the president's hopes that things are back 
in shape in April, you know, middle of April. I don't know. The closure of the casinos is a huge hit to the Las Vegas economy and the job market, which relies heavily, obviously, on tourists and the gaming industry. It's it's all of Vegas, really. Um, MGM has already started to lay off some employees. Other companies are promising one to two weeks of pay to employees. But beyond that, they're not going to be able to make payroll. The uh, This was a surprise to me that we saw card rooms and casinos in California be some of the last places to follow the order and, and voluntarily shut down because I, there are very few businesses like that where you've got 10 complete strangers at a, I don't know, a poker table, for example, or six complete strangers at a blackjack table or even 30 people surrounded around, uh, surrounding a craps table who are then just going to distribute whatever's going on to other people in the casino floor and then take it back home to wherever they go to, uh, you know, if, they, if they're in Vegas and they're traveling back to Milwaukee or something like that. It's gaming, they're saying, is a little bit different than other businesses um, because uh, some experts are saying that banks are going to work with casino companies and fix the credit lines like they did after the 2008 crash where we saw they saw so many casinos losing money. Gaming is a little different than a lot of other businesses because it's harder for a bank to take over the building, to take over the operations if, for example, a casino runs out of cash. So it may be a, a thing where the state of Nevada is able to float some loans for some of their major employers like that and keep them alive in the event that this extends past uh, – Extends past the five months. Do you hear about the strippers in Portland? They're delivering food, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Oh, there's the other thing I heard about strippers in Portland. They all smell like patchouli and have hairy armpits. I'm looking at the strippers in Portland right now. Um, I will say this. They enjoy tattoos and pasties. They are pasty or they no they enjoy- pasties like on your nip- okay don't you don't have to <laughs> yeah there's you missed a, that crow you missed the oh, hand no, I got it. you I'm got the hand signals maybe on they that can combine them and do yeah. pasty tattoos <laughs> they uh, these are strippers from the Lucky Devil Lounge that sounds terrible ouch or awesome crow keep your weird stuff to yourself. I heard that there was a strip club. Well, you want to club. go to a strip club called Little Angels? Or this is Little called De- Lucky Devil Lounge. There's a strip club in Portland called the Moss Patch. <laughs> no, no. No, there's not. Take that back. I, made that up. Take, I, just, I did make that take, up. You did make it up? But it was close enough where you're like, wait, that might be true. Anyway, the strippers are delivering food and they're making people happy. They're calling it Boober Eats. No! Stop. You made that up. No, I'm not. I'm reading it right here. Boober Eats. The dancers, two at a time, deliver the food wearing cute outfits and pasties. Are they wearing gloves at all? Or is they're just on their hands? The owner of the club says everyone's rushing to Costco to get toilet paper, and I'm at the porn store buying out their pasties stock. Are we going to do Pasty Tuesday right now? How, how, oh, <laughs> how is, how is an adult toy store still open? It's essential. Okay. Right. We'll That's do a good point. What's happening when we come well, back? Well, I mean, he could be ordering them online. Gary the online porn store. Right after this. <laughs>
Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on that iHeartRadio app. Should be at Dodger Stadium right now for opening day. Yahoo Sports talked to some of the biggest stars in Major League Baseball about their favorite opening day memories. Coming up in the next hour, we'll go through some of those. CBS Sports actually uh, also did something I was suggesting they do last week. So congratulations to people at CBS Sports who listen to the show. They got a video game out of the park, Baseball 21, and they ran each of the games today. They basically did simulations of each of the games today. So the Tigers beat the Indians 2-1, to one, uh, Yankees over the Orioles, uh, the Red Sox over the Blue Jays. By the way, have you seen the Red Sox logo? No. Okay, so on the official Red Sox Twitter account, you know it's the picture of the two red stockings, right? Yeah. And they're sort of overlapping. They're oh. now apart. Mm-hmm. Get Social it? distancing. Social distancing. It's like McDonald's with the arches. Did they? They did that somewhere. I want to say Brazil. Um, if you're a Dodgers fan, the good news is that the Dodgers beat the Giants nine to two. Yeah, they did. Mookie Betts and Cody Bellinger had five hits together. Drove in seven runs. They each hit three-run home runs. Walker Bueller didn't do great, but Justin Turner stole three bases for the first time in his career in the simulation. And according to CBS, they're going to do it every day of the season. So, oh, that's cool. It'll be kind of fun. What else is going on? Time for What's Happening. Well, the House is going to give final approval today to that massive, biggest in United States history, $2.2 trillion economic rescue bill with backing from both parties. Sorry, the government did report 3.3 million new weekly unemployment claims. That was four times the previous record from the 80s. Uh, Fed Reserve Chair Jerome Powell said that the economy may well be in a recession. Steve Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary, said that those unemployment numbers, um, they don't matter. And what he meant was it's going to be bad. We knew it was going to be bad. This was not a surprise necessarily. This rescue bill gives direct payments to most Americans. It's going to expand unemployment benefits, and it's going to provide about $367 billion to small businesses to help them keep making payroll while all the workers are forced to stay home. It's going to give substantial aid to larger industries as well. Well, we unfortunately have to do stories about people who are complete idiots at a time like this. Uh, This person in Pennsylvania, a woman, uh, blew blew out $35,000 worth of food at a grocery store. The woman, who apparently has been a chronic problem in the community, according to police, walked into a store in Hanover Township and proceeded to purposely cough on all of the fresh produce, a small section of the bakery, the meat case, and other items in the grocery store. They're going to have to get rid of $35,000 worth of food because of this jackass. And by the way, they're still trying to get this woman tested. They said there's very little doubt this woman was doing it as a very twisted prank, but they had no choice but to get rid of everything. Do you know the the TikTok personality, Lars? Do I? I love watching the ticks and the talks from Lars. You love it? Well, he is a he is an influencer, Gary, and uh, a prankster, and he did the toilet bowl challenge, which is licking <laughs> the toilet bowl. 
licking a toilet bowl. Guys. Now, let me say, if you were going. Could you imagine Lars going and fighting in World War II? <laughs> he's 21. He's from Beverly Hills. And now he's tested positive for coronavirus after licking the toilet bowl. Public toilet bowl. You know what? Some challenges are not worth the rise. You should not rise to all challenges. He's been on the Dr. Phil show, and Dr. Phil should be ashamed that he didn't have the uh, didn't take the opportunity to punch this kid square in the throat, where he'd drawn criticism for boasting about how he had been licking tubs of ice cream. Do you remember that little oh, uh, right. spree that we went through? And then putting them <laughs> back in the store freezers, claiming that he made a lot of money from his online following. Why can't we why can't we uh, give money to people illegal? who are not licking ice cream containers Listen, and putting them back at the store? I do suppose it's you know, it's his freedom to make money off of completely stupid stuff. But wouldn't it have been Dr. Phil's freedom to punch him right in the neck? Just right. Just in this area. Right, right where I wish you would have punched just to collapse his windpipe. Joe Buck when you saw him at LAX. I'm not going to punch Joe Buck. I'm just going to give him a noogie. Watch his hair fall out. Oh, that's not nice. Well, okay, but punching Joe Buck in the face is okay. That's strange rules, lady. Uh, we've got a guy in Los Angeles who's been arrested by the FBI because he was claiming that he had developed a cure to the coronavirus and he was trying to sell it to an undercover officer uh, who was posing as an investor. Okay, he claims that he. Invented the pill that cures and prevents COVID-19, that he has studied cell tissue and chemical biology for years. And in one of video, he says, yes, I created the cure that shuts down the COVID-19, that makes the cells from the coronavirus detach, release, and die within 48 hours. And declares in one video, I'm immune to catching the coronavirus, which he will be able to test in a federal lockup. Drew Brees, who is a great guy, proves once again that he is a great guy. He and his wife are committing $5 million to the state of Louisiana to fight this thing. So these are good people. Yeah, that's a good person. And New Orleans is expected to be the next big epicenter, too. I yeah. Bet. Uh, my understanding was the timing of Mardi Gras was it could not have been worse. Yes. Because everybody got together when everybody was infected and didn't know it. Uh, and it's just been growing like wildfire there. Dion Braxton is trending uh, because he's a reporter for KTVM. Jacob, could you give me some sound on my computer here? He was doing a, a stand-up at Yellowstone National Park, and there was a herd of bison walking toward him. One, two, three. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, no, I ain't messing with you. What I love. Runs away and into his car. Oh, oh, I'm not messing with you. Mm -mm. Montana, three. Oh, that's great. And the thing is, you can't see them. It's just him. He's just side-eyeing whatever is coming at him from the side of the picture there from off camera. And it's an instant meme. Like, people have reposted it saying, you know, how I look at people when they're getting too close to me. And it's just great. He did uh, He did post him eventually. He got to a safe space, he says, and then took pictures of these bison that were uh, just roaming around and grazing on that hill. That's very funny. All right, when we come back, the latest uh, small business shout-out. We're going to be talking with Brian Smith, one of the owners of The Butchery, that full-service butcher shop 
and Specialty Grocer, four different locations. We'll talk about how it is that you can help them and help yourself get some fantastic meats up in your mouth. Meats in your mouth. Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app on this Thursday. It's March 26th. At the bottom of the hour, we expect another Los Angeles County update on coronavirus. We will uh, be bringing that to you. It's going to be interesting because the sheriff has some issues surrounding his decision to shut down gun shops in the county, saying they're non-essential businesses, but also floating in the background the potential for him to be removed as the chief uh, emergency operations officer when it comes to the county. We'll talk about that uh, a bit more when those things come along at uh, 1230 today. Well, one of the things that we like to do during this mess is highlight small businesses, small businesses that are trying to stay afloat by keeping some services available to you. Today, we're talking with Brian Smith. He is co-owner of the butchery, something that is near and dear to my heart, Brian. I grew up working in a deli, and I just love a good butcher shop. And boy, do you have one! Thank you for joining us. Hi, guys. Thank you for having us. Appreciate this. So, what kind of modified business are you doing? Well, after a pretty crazy week, uh, we got our shelves stocked back up. Uh, our cases are full, and one of the things we've been having a lot of requests for is curbside pickup. So we're allowing customers to call in, place their orders, pay for it over the phone, and then they call when they're in the parking lot, and we'll bring it we'll bring it out and put it in their trunk. And in some cases, the trunk's already open. We put it in. They close it from inside and drive away. Um, you guys have also done a lot in terms of making sure that people who do come into the store are safe. Can you talk about how how it's different now than it was even a month ago in terms of cleaning, sanitizing? Yeah, we've been cleaning and sanitizing like crazy. All, all the surfaces that, that we touch and the customers touch, uh, we're also allowing only 10 customers in the store at a time. Uh, I thought that might be a challenge, but it's actually um, customers seem real happy that we're doing it, and they're really kind of self-policing it. Um so they're lining up outside. Everybody's staying there six feet apart, and it's been working out really well. So what kind of uh, meats are we talking about here? So we specialize in high-end meats, uh, dry-aged, uh, very ranch-specific, what we purchase. Um, we start with top-choice grades. We all go all the way up through prime and into uh, American and Japanese Wagyu. What we're seeing the most demand on right now, oh, we're selling a lot of that stuff. Uh, we're moving a ton of ground beef and a ton, a ton of chicken. That see those seem to be the, the most in-demand items right now, I assume because people can uh, feel comfortable freezing them. And that's another service we're offering, too, is we can vacuum seal anything that anybody wants and any portions that anybody wants so that they can freeze them and store them as long as they want. One of the things that I'm looking at on your website right now at butcherymeats.com is the Applewood smoked bacon. Oh, man. Yep. That looks incredible. I have some of that in my – go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no. I was just going to say when I – the last time I went to the market, which was, oh, two and a half weeks ago or so, because I just don't like to see the people stocking up. It depresses me. Uh, So I was there and – 
they had run out of a bunch of, of chicken and all, actually all the meats were gone except for the bacon. There was still so much bacon left. And I was thinking, gosh, I bought myself six packages of bacon because I like to eat it every day. Because of a week. You have a- because of a week. Yeah. Um, but I was surprised that that wasn't one of the things to go. I mean, this, these are uh, dark times and bacon is so comforting. And this uh, applewood smoked bacon looks incredible. It is, and I have some of that in my own fridge, uh, it, and we've got several kinds of bacon. It's been moving well. Uh, it's been interesting, like you said, to see what products are flying off and what aren't, and nobody really could have prepared for it. I would say the bacon's a medium mover. Um, like, like I said, I, I, the chicken is, for some reason, that is just what everybody wants. Mm. Uh, Brian, again, co-owner of The Butchery. You can find him on uh, the website at butcherymeats.com. Brian, I I know that this is a weird, unprecedented, strange, probably very frustrating time. How have you sort of balanced the restaurant-slash-butchery part of this with being the owner of a business where you also have to deal with employees, an uncertain future, small business loans? I mean, that's got to be a... uh, it's got to be taxing. It is, and there's a lot there. You know, I feel real lucky that we're in a business that there's a high demand for right now. We do have a restaurant component, which has almost died. And so I understand and feel for those folks that only have that. Um, lucky for us, our meat sales and our grocery sales have elevated quite a bit and helped balance that out. Uh, and we've been lucky. We've been able to. Uh, we've given our employees a, a two dollar an hour bump across the board, uh, just because they're in there on the front lines dealing with customers every day, and uh, they're working very, very hard, and they're exposed too. Um, so we're we're trying to take care of them and hoping that this lasts and and stays sustainable for us, so that we can keep them employed and and uh, pay them just a little bit more. Um, but so far, it's been pretty good for for our market particularly yeah all right so brian smith co-owner of the butchery you can find all of their meats they are they look so so damn good at uh, butcherymeats.com and they are available for curbside pickup brian thank you and uh, we wish you the best of luck these next couple of weeks Hey, thank you, guys. Keep doing what you're doing. Love it. Thank you. You bet. Brian uh, Brian Smith, again, co-owner of The Butchery. Butcherymeats.com is the website. You can find him on Facebook and Instagram as well. I want a nice big steak. That sounds good. It does sound good. Uh, I haven't I had a find, steak in a long time. I found some frozen steaks in the uh, in the freezer the other day. Was it with the bird? Maybe it's time. No, no, that's my parents' freezer. They you don't have, keep birds in your I freezer? I do not. Uh, birds or bats is that like uh is that like a a real hard no from from your wife like if you even (laughs) think about putting a bird in the freezer trust me if she opened the freezer and she found a dead bat (laughs) or a live one even if she found a bat any kind of bat in the freezer it would be uh that would be grounds the bat story kind of takes on a new connotation since uh oh i didn't even that bat's not still in your parents' freezer, is it? I don't know. That's a good question. But I also know that they were never planning on eating it. What were they planning on doing with the bat? Showing it off. Okay. Just so people could say, hey, look, that's a frozen bat. 
my mom was really particularly taken at the fact that the the fur on the front of it was a light color. It was almost like a blonde mm-hmm. bat. Well, it's a way of birding. You know, bats are... Except that you're not a bird. The bats fly as the birds do, and it's fun to note the, the bird's different coating. Right. Coating. It sounds like I'm going to baste it <laughs> in a nice buttery or wine reduction. I have been doing some birding. Mm-hmm. You know? And? It's just nice. The birds are loving this coronavirus. There were birds in the parking garage this morning. I mean, they're just... In, I mean, in the garage. They're like, we can breathe now. Coming back, L.A. County giving us an update. We'll break in when that happens. We take you now for the uh, daily L.A. County coronavirus pandemic. Here's uh, Supervisor Catherine Barger. Doesn't mean, and considering the well-being of others. First, we need people to give blood. If you'd like to donate, you must make an appointment on redcrossblood.org. Again, that is redcrossblood.org. Or by calling 1-800-RED-CROSS. All donors, staff, and volunteers will have their temperature taken before they are permitted to enter to confirm that they are healthy. Also, be considerate to your neighbors who need help and may not be able to leave the house. It is important to remember that they have anxiety and needs as well. Pick up groceries, medication, and toiletries for seniors and those with other health concerns. Or take the initiative to set up delivery services on their behalf. You can connect with them on L.A. County Meal Delivery Service at WDAX, which is wdacs.lacounty.gov slash COVID-19 if you would like to connect them to service delivery in their home. Additionally, please keep supporting local businesses. Continue ordering food delivery from eateries. Shop online from favorite retailers or buy gift cards so you can shop in the store when they reopen. And throughout Los Angeles County, we have countless incredible nonprofits. I encourage you to find a cause close to your heart and support the work they're doing and give them the hope that they need. You can assemble hygiene kits for those experiencing homeless or help distribute for, for one at the LAUSD grab-and-go sites. And without even leaving home, you can always donate funds to a nonprofit of your choosing. Thank you so much for every one of our community members who have been so eager and willing to help in this time. Without further ado, we're going to hear from Dr. Barbara Ferrer, the Director of Public Health, who will give you our latest updates And we will have our Director of Health Services, Dr. Christina Gallia, available for questions upon the completion of the news conference. But first, I would like to invite my Chair Pro Tem, Supervisor Hilda Solis, up to say a few remarks. And again, I want to thank everybody for being so generous, not only with their time, but with their giving. Thank you, uh, Chairwoman. 
Catherine Barger, and uh, my name is Hilda Solis. I represent the 1st Supervisorial District, and I particularly want to give thanks to Dr. Barbara Ferrer, our public health officer. It's been an extremely, extremely hard job to come here every day and to report on so many on so many issues impacting our community. And I, I just want to uh, recognize her leadership, her tenacity, her ability with calmness to give information to the public that is so sorely needed and necessary. And I just want to thank her and her entire staff. I want to thank our CEO. I want to thank all the departments that have worked yeoman's job in the last few weeks and months to help get us to where we are. And I know that uh, with her at the helm, we're going to be able to do some great things for the County of Los Angeles. But first and foremost, I want to say that today we should be talking about uh, flattening that curve. And you've heard a lot about that curve, that curve that's going up that says if we don't start to distance ourselves, social distancing and making sure that we stay in place at home, that we're going to continue to see that curve go up. The way we bring it down, that means less infections, less people becoming contaminated, is by making sure that people are abiding by the public health rules that are being uh, presented to you every day here by our public health officer. Uh, my, my job here is really just to reemphasize how much the county is doing, and I want to commend all our departments for doing just that. But I also want to emphasize that our first and foremost concern is that everybody practice essential safety measures and that all of us stay healthy as possible. And that, again, uh, I want to reiterate that it, it does mean social distancing, practicing that six feet apart when necessary. It's good to go out and walk on, on uh, trails or in your backyard, but make sure that you don't have six people standing next to you when you're doing it. And make sure that you're careful uh, in where you go and what you touch and that you wash your hands and that you spend 20 seconds under the faucet with soap every time you go out or when you come back in from somewhere and you're practicing good, good behavior that your children and your family members can also emulate. Um, but today I also want to mention something that the county has been working on. And every day we think about how we can help our residents, our property owners. And at my direction, the county's treasurer and tax collector will work with the impacted property owners to waive penalties for late property tax payments on a case-by-case -case basis. This will prevent further hardship for property owners. And lastly, I also want to mention the agreement passed unanimously by the United States Senate yesterday. The bill still requires passage, as you know, by the House of Representatives and the President's signature. But however, it's one of the largest economic recovery bills passed by the Senate in our history. It is a $2 trillion investment for the American people. And with it will include checks that would be sent to millions of working Americans in the amount of $600 to about $1,200, an additional $500 cash payment per each child. Small businesses would receive support and emergency grants for operating costs and other expenses, and the safety net provided through unemployment benefits alone would expand to cover many, many workers at a higher rate for many more weeks. This bipartisan Senate package would help offset the economic decline being felt right here in Los Angeles County. 
Additionally, the package would provide additional funds in the amount of almost $16 billion for the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program to ensure that our families here in Los Angeles County have food security during this pandemic. The bill also contains important resources for our children, including an allocation of significant dollars to provide child care assistance to first responders and other essential workers during the COVID-19 pandemic. The bill includes support for homeless assistance and rental assistance programs, as well as a moratorium on certain evictions and foreclosures. I want to thank the Senate leadership for bringing the robust bill forward and quickly. The support, as you know, is critical for Los Angeles County and the entire country. And lastly, I can't go without saying how important it is to repeat over and over again that racism against our community neighbors, our Asian Pacific Islander communities, must stop. COVID-19 is the correct medical term, and it does not discriminate based on race or borders. And I'm appalled by anyone who would spew hate rather than stand in solidarity during these most difficult times. Fear-mongering will only make matters worse. Let's speak up for one another, and let's be kind and humane to each other. Thank you very much. With that, I want to introduce Dr. Barbara Ferrer, proudly our public health director. Uh, good afternoon, everyone, and uh, thank you so much for having us. I, I really want to thank Supervisor Barger, Supervisor Solis, and all of our, our board uh, supervisors. The words thank you don't seem adequate at this point to convey the gratitude I have for both of our leaders, for their strength and their leadership. Um, and I want to thank everyone who uh, is working across the L.A. County family, uh, including Dr. Galley and, and Kevin McGowan. Uh, the cooperation across all departments is phenomenal, much needed and much appreciated. And I want to update you today on our current status. I'm really sad to report an additional nine deaths today. Uh, we have many more positive cases, and with more positive cases, uh, we continue to have more deaths, unfortunately, of people who are dying from COVID-19. Um, I'm not going to be reporting on any additional information about these nine individuals because we are still uh, we still know that some families are being notified. Uh, this brings the total number of deaths in LA County to 21. Uh, one of the previously reported deaths of a juvenile uh, was upon investigation, uh, has been uh, dropped because uh, CDC will be completing that investigation. And another previously reported death was found to be a resident that actually lives in another county. Uh, reporting these deaths is the absolute worst part of our day at DPH, uh, but it can't compare to the profound loss that is experienced by the family and friends of people who have passed. To all of you, we're very, very sorry for your loss. Uh, today, we're also reporting 421 new cases. Over the last 48 hours, there have been 559 new cases, which brings the total number of cases in L.A. County to 1,216. These cases include 41 cases reported by our partners in, Long, in the city of Long Beach and nine cases reported by the city of Pasadena. This increase is primarily attributed to uh, large increases in testing. Uh, there's more testing, and we're also catching up on backlogs uh, on getting testing results that have been delayed. Uh, but I also want to note that we have to assume 
that the spread of COVID-19 uh, is happening all across the county. If there are a thousand people uh, that are positive and each one of those people infects two other people, uh, if we don't uh, curtail that spread, within a few weeks there could be over a million people that would be infected in LA County. And if 20% of those people who are infected need some kind of hospital care, you can see why we're urging everyone to help us slow the spread. That could be over 200,000 people that at some point would need to be hospitalized. We cannot do this alone. Uh, we absolutely need everyone to help us. If we get the numbers down and each person does not infect two other people, uh, that's our chance and that's our hope. Uh, I also want to uh, let people know that, as, as I reported yesterday, fully 40% of the cases that are positive are in people between the ages of 18 and 40, and an additional 40% are among people between the ages of 41 and 65. 253 cases at some point have been hospitalized. That's 21% of all positive cases. And right now, our mortality rate is about 1.6% which is very similar to the mortality rate for the United States as a whole. And again, as I noted yesterday, this is a higher mortality rate than what we see typically from influenza. Confirmed cases are being quarantined and are being isolated and close contacts are being quarantined. We're also investigating 14 different institutional settings Primarily, uh, these are mostly nursing homes and long-term care facilities. Uh, all of these settings have at least one person uh, who's tested positive for COVID-19, either a staff person or, um, or a resident of the facility. Uh, we are going to be updating uh, with more information on our website. Uh, we will uh, be posting information on any of any institutional setting that has an outbreak for us uh, in this situation. It's three or more positive cases, but we're waiting uh, to make sure that all of the facilities have an opportunity to notify all their staff, uh, all of the residents, and all of the families of the residents. Um, and please note uh, that for the facilities, we haven't noted any deficiencies at the facilities where we're reporting cases. Um, so I want everyone to understand there's a lot of infection of COVID-19 in our community. This means it will bound, it's bound to show up in our institutional settings. This isn't a flaw or a, 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 there's, no, there's no flaws here or people to blame. Uh, this is how the uh, spread of this infection works. It's very unfortunate um, and we're all trying to do our part. Um, as of March 25th, over uh, 9,400 people were tested in L.A. County. And again, uh, we remain at about 10% of people tested uh, are positive. But um, this is a huge increase. It's actually almost 4,000 more people were tested yesterday, uh, or the reports of their testing came through yesterday, than what we've previously seen. And that really accounts for a lot of the increase that we see in the number of positive cases that we're reporting. It's really a direct correlation. Uh, and though testing capacity uh, is increasing, and we're all glad about that, it's still, uh, there's still a limited supply, and we're still asking for everyone to help us by cooperating and understanding that symptomatic people are the only ones who still should be tested, and they still should be tested upon having a clinical evaluation by a medical provider. 
Uh, I want to thank Dr. Kazan again for continuing to make meaningful progress on this. It's, uh, it's really uh, amazing that in a couple of days we've increased the testing capacity by thousands and thousands of more people uh, being able to be tested. Uh, for people who are uh, uh, asymptomatic, uh, we want to remind you that uh, you do need to do your part around social distancing. Uh, obviously, as I explained yesterday, for people who are ill, whether it's mild symptoms, whether you have a positive test for COVID-19, whether you are presumed to be positive uh, for COVID-19, you need to isolate yourself. And the blanket order that was issued yesterday by our health officer, Dr. Davis, uh, really uh, sets those boundaries out clearly uh, for everyone to follow. So the requirements are that uh, if you are positive, presumed to be positive, waiting for a test result, you need, you're legally obligated to isolate yourself. And that means you have to stay home for at least seven days and until you're fever and symptom-free for at least 72 hours. Please do not leave your home except for medical appointments. Uh, you also, as a reminder, need to notify all your close contacts that you have COVID-19 or are likely to have COVID-19. That includes intimate partners, household members, caregivers, and anybody you work with who you've had uh, extended uh, contact with them that's been uh, in a space that's less than six feet for more than 10 minutes. Uh, the public order does also require, as I noted yesterday, that if you are a close contact of someone who has been tested as positive for COVID-19 or is presumed to be positive for COVID-19, you too are required legally to quarantine yourself for 14 days from the last day you were with that person. Um, and we ask that you too stay home, stay away from others, have your essentials uh, de delivered to you. You may not go shopping. We ask that you not uh, really go out of your house. Uh, there's, there can be no exposures to other people. These are the two tools we have. People can do social distancing when you're asymptomatic, but if you're sick, you have to isolate, and if you're a close contact, you have to quarantine. The only way we get that number down from every person who's infected, infecting two others, is if we actually practice all of the only tools uh, that we have to our disposal right now. Social distancing if you're asymptomatic, and if you're symptomatic, you need to be uh, doing your isolation, and if you're close contact of somebody who's COVID-19 positive or presumed to be COVID-19 positive, you too need to be quarantining yourself. I know that so many of you are working hard to comply with all of the social distancing requirements and with isolation and quarantine orders. And I know this is extraordinarily difficult for everyone. And for some families, it's harder than others. I hope you know that we're here with you. Uh, we wanna make sure that you get the support you need if you're struggling and you have nowhere to turn, I want to remind people at 211, we have stepped up capacity there so that they can take your calls and that the Department of Mental Health has wonderful resources available on their website and a call line uh, that you can access if you're feeling stressed and overwhelmed, like I know so many of us are. But let's be kind to each other, let's show one another respect, and let's treat each other with compassion. We're strong when we work together, and I know I can count on you, and you can count on us to continue to do that work. So thank you very much. And we're going to take questions now. Uh, so. And ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press 1 followed by 0. 
And one moment for our first question. Thank you. Our first, qu our first question comes from Mary Beth McDade with KTLA Channel 5 News. Please go ahead. Yes, hi. Good morning. Uh, I was just wondering if there are any numbers out there as far as how many people have recovered out of the confirmed cases in L.A. County. Okay, Dr. Ferrer will answer that. Thank you. Yeah, th thank you so much. Uh, we are working on a more detailed dashboard uh, to actually be able to report accurately on uh, people who have recovered. It's obviously um, hard to do uh, given our numbers uh, and given the fact that you no longer need what we call the cure tests. So you no longer need, uh, uh, before you can leave your isolation uh, your setting, you no longer need to have two negative tests 24 hours apart. Uh, people actually don't need to be tested at all in order for them to uh, be able to leave an isolation situation. So it's, it's a little bit harder for us to get the data on recovery than it was before. But we're trying to figure out other ways to be able to, to actually account for that. And, and hopefully by next week, we'll, we're including those numbers on the dashboard. But thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Next question. Our next question comes from Claudia Pesciuta with KNX News Radio. Please go ahead. Good afternoon. Um, I know a lot of efforts are underway to prepare, but given that we might be facing a New York-type surge in a matter of days and the number of ICU beds and ventilators we have remains so low and no huge increases are coming as far as we know, and that, as the L.A. Times reported, nursing homes are refusing to take discharge hospital patients who can't get the cure test, and that the county is already asking healthcare workers to reuse protective gear and the mask uh, piles already gone, which Dr. Galley failed to mention when I asked about it yesterday. It just seems like the county is not prepared for a huge acceleration in cases that's expected. Might we end up seeing doctors here, like we're seeing in New York, begging for ventilators and hosp hospitals using refrigerated trucks to store bodies? Okay, I'm going to have Dr. Galley come up and talk about this because we actually had a phone call this morning with um, everyone regarding this matter in terms of our inventory, so she can fill you in. Dr. Galley? Hi, this is Christina Galley, Director of the Department of Health Services. Um, I'll try to cover a f several of your points, but if I if I miss something, just let me know because there was a lot embedded in what you just asked. Uh, in yeah. terms of current uh, ICU bed capacity, uh, there are... Uh, currently 208 ICU beds that are available and open across the county, uh, including 71 within the Department of Health Services. There are approximately 830 ventilators that are available for use across the county. There are a couple of hundred more that are uh, close to delivery or have been delivered and are being serviced with new batteries or various other efforts to bring them back online and make them usable, which should be available within the next couple of days. And the EMS agency is in the process of distributing those out. There are a number of efforts underway, as I've spoken about previously, to increase bed capacity beyond the numbers that I just talked about. All hospitals have the ability to surge ICU bed capacity that is not reflected in the numbers that are given out on a daily basis as collected through the hospital polls. So when we report out available beds, that's just available staffed beds at the snapshot in time in which the hospitals are being surveyed based on their self-reports. Hospitals don't staff beds that they don't need to staff because there's not a patient to fill them. So once there's a greater demand for patients, hospitals 
all have the ability to surge their capacity for patients, including med- medical surgical care and including ICU-level care, above and beyond those available bed numbers that we give out daily. Now, hospitals are... Uh, executing all those plans. There's various ways in which they can do that by utilizing existing intensive care units or other critical care areas of the hospital and also by converting other non-ICU or non-critical care areas into ICU bed capacity. It's very difficult to release a dashboard on those numbers, but uh, please know that the hospitals are working and the MS agency and DHS is working in partnership with them to be able to uh, increase and surge that capacity. There's also um, very efforts underway to set up alternative care sites, some of which will have ICU capacity as well. Uh, what's needed to support that capacity is obviously staff. A lot of hospitals are working to bring on recent retirees, to bring on contract staff, uh, and they're undergoing various uh, plans for the staffing. DHS is the same in that regard. And then obviously the supplies and EMS agency is working hand-in-hand with all of the hospitals across the county to be able to troubleshoot their specific supply shortages, whether it's personal protective equipment or ventilators, and make sure that we're bringing on board through the supply chain the supplies that they need. The county stockpile is already gone, and we haven't had a surge yet. The county's... Real surge... We have not yet had a surge. No, that's correct. The hospital can, the hospital censuses are all low, intentionally low, because they're clearing out other non-COVID patients to the extent it's safe to do so to make room for COVID. The stockpile is, has been distributed and is in the process of being distributed, but these numbers change on a daily basis. We get FEMA shipments. There's national. There's shipments that come in not just through state and federal uh, stockpile deliveries, but through the regular supply chain. And those... Those deliveries come in on a daily basis, depending on the type of equipment. So it's not a static one-time stockpile number. I get what you're saying, but it just seems that if people, if healthcare workers are already being asked to reuse equipment, given the relatively low number of cases that we have at this point, it seems like things will get really bad if we do see a New York-type surge here. Yeah, I'll, I'll, let me answer that, and then we'll move on to the next question. So all hospitals should be following the CDC guidelines on reuse of uh, personal protective equipment. Uh, they are doing that in an abundance of, of caution to make sure that hospitals uh, are able to retain sufficient equipment in case of a surge. They're not uh, necessarily doing that because they currently have a shortage, at least within the Department of Health Services. There are no current absolute, there's there's no gaps in equipment. There's no current absolute gaps other than with the plastic face shields, which we have received a shipment on today. Um, there's not current gaps in ventilators, masks, anything else. So what hospitals all should be doing in a responsible manner is following the public health guidance from the CDC on how to properly reuse equipment so that we can make sure that there are supplies available in the case of a search. With that, we'll go to the next question. Our next question comes from Carla Hall with Los Angeles Times. Please go ahead. Hi, Dr. Ferrer. I just wanted to ask you two questions. One is, are there any cases yet in the homeless population? And what are the rules uh, about people who come into your house but also leave your house who work for you, like a nanny or a housekeeper or a handyman? Um, thanks. Uh, those are both great questions. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah we, while we're still continuing to be testing people, uh, both people who are um, homeless, experiencing homelessness, and people who are unsheltered and people experiencing homelessness who are sheltered, uh, to date, I'm not uh, aware of any one of our cases being positive uh, for those persons okay. that are under investigation. Um, we, you know, if you look at uh, exemptions to the stay-at-home order, uh, people who need to come into your house to provide essential services are still allowed to come to your house. Yeah. That's particularly important for people providing personal care, who are personal care attendants, people who might be providing babysitting, you know, obviously, uh, particularly if you're an essential worker and you need to go to work, it's very important that a babysitter be able to come. You know, people who are providing services around your house uh, to make sure that, uh, you know, um, your, uh, your, 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 your house is safe. So, you know, again, uh, those are all exempt services. So I hope that answers that. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Next question. We're listening to the latest update from Los Angeles County officials, KFI and KOST HD2 Los Angeles. To follow up on the hospital situation, is there any truth that the L.A. Convention Center is being prepared to handle the overflow when the so-called surge hits? Dr. Galley will answer that question. Yeah, hi. I, I, the question was about the use of the L.A. Convention Center. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, so uh, we're grateful to our partners at the City of Los Angeles for their work and partnership in this effort. So the federal medical service supply that has been distributed uh, to Los Angeles County is in the process of being investigated for deployment in the Los Angeles Convention Center. Once that's deployed in that setting, um, the city uh, working in partnership with the county will be staffing it for uh, a very, uh, for a non license level of care so for quarantine and isolation of individuals for example after they're released from the hospital don't have a place that to go to complete their quarantine and isolation uh, but no longer need acute level of care um, we're in the process of working out you know the transfer protocols the staffing and the supplies uh, with the city in the lead role on that but that's the intended use uh, of that facility Thank you. And Supervisor, if I may, I, I, I don't mean to be rude with this question, but do you care to respond to the situation going on with the sheriff? Yeah, I, there's really nothing to respond to. Um, I, I actually didn't know where it came from, and so what I've said is that we're all in this together, and um, now is not the time to argue about who's in charge because all the people in our communities want to know is that we're working together collaboratively to make sure that we control the spread and do what's right for our constituents. So they're really, I mean, it's not a rude question and there's really nothing to um, respond to because I, I really don't know where it came from other than an action the board is taking on Tuesday in response to an audit that was done by an independent auditor regarding what took place during the Woolsey fire. And that was done in November. And um, as you know, we haven't had a board meeting uh, and this was supposed to be scheduled on March 17th. Um, and unfortunately, we didn't have that meeting, and so now it's on Tuesday's agenda. So I was equally as surprised about um, the response, given that this has been, uh, work, been, been in the workings for months. And in fact, I think, uh, and I know that the sheriff was given an opportunity 
to provide input when this first came to the board in November and was discussed at the board um, on a motion by Supervisor Kuehl, co-sponsored by myself. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I've moved on because, um, you know, I, I take what's going on very seriously with this pandemic, and I respect the role that Dr. Ferrer and Dr. Galley have as it relates to Dr. Ferrer on the public health side, Dr. Galley, in making sure that we have um, the hospital beds, Lord forbid, but if we do, that we have the ability to treat those people in need. So that's what I'm going to stay focused on. So, Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank Appreciate you. Your answer. Thank, you. Thank you. Next question. Our next question comes from Pat Healy with NBC4. Please go ahead. Hi, Pat. Doctor, to clarify a couple of points, not sure I heard correctly. Are zero deaths among the homeless community? Are we aware of any deaths among uh, patients who have been at the convalescent hospital or Hi, sorry, I, we were having a hard time hearing you. Could you think you could repeat your question? I'm sorry, I'll try this again. I, I heard that there are no deaths known among the homeless population. Are we aware of any deaths yet among patients who have been at convalescent hospitals or skilled nursing homes? Um, you know, I, I am not aware of any deaths uh, in uh, nursing homes or long-term care facilities. Uh, but I will double check that that's accurate. Um, I I usually get um, we usually get that information as I noted today because we had a large uh, number of deaths that we reported today. Uh, we didn't collect all the information we usually collect in time to report it uh, at this briefing. So I just want to double check. You know, up until today, I know the answer was no, but I'd like to go back and just uh, check with my team. We'll have that information by the end of the day on the deaths that we reported today. And two more questions, if I may. Uh, there's one patient at the VA hospital in Long Beach who was prescribed uh, hydroxychloroquine. Uh, do we have a progress report on how many patients have been prescribed and what results we are getting? And the other question would be about the convention center target date for opening, or would that be a threshold level of cases? Sure. I'll take your first question. Um, you know, again, I have no information on individual patient care protocols. Um, I know that there's a clinical trial, and uh, I'm happy to go back and look and see if there's any information being released from the clinical trial um, about patients who are hospitalized and are, be given, are being given uh, medications as part of their treatment uh, under the under the uh, auspices of being part of a study, but I don't I don't ever have information on any individual patients' uh, progress uh, to report. So, and I'll I'll ask Dr. Galley to come back up about the convention center. Hi. With respect to the convention center, the uh, equipment, uh, per this latest message we received from the state, is planned to be delivered to the convention center on Saturday the 28th. Uh, and then uh, there would need to be uh, a bit of time for establishment and setup of that equipment and putting in place the protocols. I don't have a definitive opening date at this point in time, but we'll provide that once it's available. Thank you. We're going to have our last question. Final question comes from Steve Gregory with KFI yeah. Radio. Please go ahead. Thank you and good afternoon. A uh, couple things. Uh, Dr. Ferrer 
Do you have sort of an average length that the virus has been lasting in individuals? I know every body is different, but has there been sort of an average as to when someone's diagnosed with COVID-19 to when, and those that survive it, what's been the average length that the illnesses has been settled? Also, uh, for Dr. Galley, perhaps, um, have you requested or has the governor's office actually offered the services of CAL FIRE's type 1 incident management teams? I know that they were an integral part of H1N1 outbreak years ago, but have you had any assistance from the CAL FIRE type 1 incident management teams? Thank you. Uh, great, yes. So um, your, your first question was, you know, sort of on average, how long does it take people to recover? And you know, unfortunately, we don't we don't really have a sort of on average how long it's taking. We do know that uh, for people with relatively mild illness, uh, they're usually clearing, uh, you know, symptom free, able to go back out and and about uh, no fever, uh, no symptoms for, you know, the, the seven days plus three. So somewhere between seven and ten and ten days. Um, but again, you know, that's our requirement is that you absolutely, if you're positive, you do have to, you know, stay isolated for seven days and you have to have three days that are completely symptom free and fever free because that seems to be uh, the general pattern um, that for folks with mild illness. For folks with serious illness, uh, we've had folks that have actually been hospitalized for, for weeks. Um, so I think, again, uh, you know, there's really two distinct experiences and then probably lots of different experiences in between on the continuum from folks with relatively mild illness uh, who are recovering pretty quickly and then folks who uh, had very serious illness and it often takes weeks for them to in fact uh, get back to uh, a state where they're uh, feeling completely better. Thank you. And Dr. Galley? Yeah, hi. I'm sorry, I don't know the answer to your question, but uh, I will look into it and we'll get an answer back to you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Now I'm going to invite Supervisor Hill. All right, that's uh, Catherine Barger. They're wrapping up the press conference, at least the English version of the press conference from Los Angeles County regarding the latest updates. And uh, the part that we were most interested in, uh, a couple of things. Number one, when Catherine Barger, the chair of the County Board of Supervisors, was asked about the report today in the L.A. Times that they were looking at getting um, Alex Villanueva out from underneath, I guess if you could call it that, the uh, label of being in charge of the county's emergency response because of who he is as the sheriff. There was some discussion about the uh, the handling of the Woolsey fire, and uh, Villanueva is technically, whoever the sheriff is, is the head of the county's emergency operations center. And there was some concern from Sheila Kuehl that anybody uh, who's dealing with law enforcement in general, especially a gigantic law enforcement agency the size of the L.A. County Sheriff's Department, that that person would also have run or say, at least over the health department, the homelessness outreach, placement and housing, all those types of things, when that person should be concentrating on law enforcement. Catherine Barger was saying today, it doesn't matter who the, who's in charge right now. We're not arguing about that. We're just taking into account what's going on in the county and trying to make sure that we get this thing taken care of. Claudia, that was the first part. Claudia over at KNX was asking uh, about the health professionals that are being asked to reuse masks and the fact that if that's where we're at right now with a relatively small number of cases, when that surge hits, which we are anticipating just as it's hit every other just like New York, just yeah. like we've seen in Italy and Spain, the number of new cases 
is 421. So the total is now 1,216 positive coronavirus cases in the county. Now that, in terms of keeping in mind what that means, Dr. Ferrer said that that big leap in numbers of positive cases announced today is primarily due to the increased testing that we've seen. And it's coming in from all around the county. They had been putting out a list of individual cities where cases had been reported. It's basically every city in the county right now. So it's not like there are pockets of Los Angeles County where this doesn't exist, although there are plenty of places where there's one case or maybe two cases. Um, In terms of those that have been hospitalized by all of this, of the positive cases, of the 1,216 positive cases in Los Angeles County, 253 people were hospitalized at some time or at any time is the way that they described it. So there may be still a couple of dozen or a few dozen people in the hospital now, but the majority of the people who were in the hospital are now out of the hospital. And the other important thing that she said, although it's frustrating because there's not enough context here, that the mortality rate for COVID-19 in Los Angeles has been 1.6%. That of the 1,216 positive cases... There have been 21 deaths in L.A. County, the 1.6% rate. That's a frustrating number because we simply do not know the number of people who have or have had COVID-19. Because we're only, we've only tested thousands, not tens of or hundreds of thousands, to get a better idea of just how many people have had this. Thing. Miami has announced a curfew now, 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. starting Friday. I'm thinking you're going to see more of that as well. Uh, It looks like Wall Street had a hell of a day. The Dow closing up 1351 to 22,552. That's about nearly a six and a half percentage hike there. The S&P 500 index is up 17% since Monday. They say it's had its best three-day run since 1933. On the day that we announce unemployment is at 3.3 million, right? Yeah. But they love that stimulus plan. I guess so. Uh, The House still has to vote on it and then go to the president for signature. It looks like it's going to happen. It's just uh, it has not yet happened. So. When we come back, a little bit more about these L.A. County numbers specifically that Dr. Ferrer was talking about. But um, today was supposed to be supposed to be opening day. We'll talk about some of the the great Major League Baseball players, current players, say their their best opening day memories. That'll be nice. Good distraction. Yeah. Gary and Shannon will continue. Uh, To follow up on on the hospital situation, uh, is there any truth that the L.A. Convention Center is being prepared to handle the, the overflow when the when the so-called surge hits? Dr. Galley will answer that question. Yeah, hi. I, I, the question was about the use of the L.A. Convention Center. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, so uh, we're grateful to our partners at the City of Los Angeles for their work and partnership in this effort. So the federal medical service supply that has been distributed uh, to Los Angeles County is in the process of being investigated for deployment in the Los Angeles Convention Center. Once that's deployed in that setting, um, the city uh, working in partnership with the county will be staffing it for uh, a very uh, for a non 
licensed level of care. So for quarantine and isolation of individuals, for example, after they're released from the hospital, don't have a place that to go to complete their quarantine and isolation, uh, but no longer need acute level of care. Um, we're in the process of working out, you know, the transfer protocols, the staffing and the supplies uh, with the city in the lead role on that. But that's the intended use uh, of that facility. Thank you. And Supervisor, if I may, uh, I, I, I don't mean to be rude with this question, but do you care to respond to the situation going on with the sheriff? Yeah, I, there's really nothing to respond to. Um, I, I actually didn't know where it came from. And so what I've said is that we're all in this together. And um, now is not the time to argue about who's in charge because all the people in our communities want to know is that we're working together collaboratively to make sure that we control the spread and do what's right for our constituents. So they're really, I mean, it's not a rude question and there's really nothing to um, respond to because I, I really don't know where it came from other than an action the board is taking on Tuesday in response to an audit that was done by an independent auditor regarding what took place during the Woolsey fire. And that was done in November. And um, as you know, we haven't had a board meeting uh, and this was supposed to be scheduled on March 17th. Um, and unfortunately, we didn't have that meeting, and so now it's on Tuesday's agenda. So I was equally as surprised about um, the response, given that this has been, uh, work, been been in the workings for months. And in fact, I think, uh, and I know that the sheriff was given an opportunity to provide input when this first came to the board in November and was discussed at the board um, on a motion by Supervisor Kuehl, co-sponsored by myself. So... You know, as far as I'm concerned, I've moved on because, um, you know, I, I take what's going on very seriously with this pandemic, and I respect the role that Dr. Ferrer and Dr. Galley have as it relates to Dr. Ferrer on the public health side, Dr. Galley, in making sure that we have um, the hospital beds, Lord forbid, but if we do, that we have the ability to treat those people in need. So that's what I'm going to stay focused on. So thank you. Thank you very much. Thank Appreciate you. Thank, thank you. Thank Next you. question. Our next question comes from Pat Healy with NBC4. Please go ahead. Hi, Pat. Doctor, to clarify a couple of points. Not that I heard correctly. Are zero deaths among the homeless community? Are we aware of any deaths among uh, patients who have been at the convalescent hospital or illness? Hi, sorry. I, we were having a hard time hearing you. Could you think you could repeat your question? I'm sorry, I'm going to try this again. I, I heard that there are no deaths known among the homeless population. Are we aware of any deaths yet among patients who have been at convalescent hospitals or skilled nursing homes? Um, you know, I, I am not aware of any deaths uh, in uh, nursing homes or long-term care facilities, uh, but I will double-check that that's accurate. Um, I, I usually get, um, we usually get that information, as I noted today, because we had a large uh, number of deaths that we reported today. Uh, we didn't collect all the information we usually collect in time to report it uh, at this briefing. So I just want to double-check. You know, up until today, I know the answer was no, but I'd like to go back and just uh, check with my team. We'll have that information by the end of the day on the deaths that we reported today. And two more questions, if I may. Uh, there's one patient at the VA hospital in Long Beach who was prescribed uh, hydroxychloroquine. Uh, do we have a progress report on how many patients have been prescribed and what results we are getting? 
And the other question would be about the convention center target date for opening, or would that be a threshold level of cases? Sure. I'll take your first question. Um, you know, again, I have no information on individual patient care protocols. Um, I know that there's a clinical trial, and uh, I'm happy to go back and look and see if there's any information being released from the clinical trial um, about patients who are hospitalized and are, be given, are being given uh, medications as part of their treatment uh, under the under the uh, auspices of being part of a study, but I don't I don't ever have information on any individual patients' uh, progress uh, to report. So, and I'll I'll ask Dr. Galley to come back up about the convention center. Hi, with respect to the convention center, the uh, equipment uh, per this latest message we received from the state is planned to be delivered to the convention center on Saturday the 28th, uh, and then uh, there would need to be uh, a bit of time for establishment and setup of that equipment and putting in place the protocols. I don't have a definitive opening date at this point in time, but we'll provide that once it's available. Thank you. We're going to have our last question. Final question comes from Steve Gregory with KFI yeah. Radio. Please go ahead. Thank you and good afternoon. A uh, couple things. Uh, Dr. Ferrer, do you have sort of an average length that the virus has been lasting in individuals? I know every body is different, but has there been sort of an average as to when someone's diagnosed with COVID-19 to when and those that survive it, what's been the average length that the illness is, has been settled? Also, uh, for Dr. Galley, perhaps, um, have you requested or has the governor's office actually offered the services of CAL FIRE's Type 1 incident management teams? I know that they were an integral part of H1N1 outbreak years ago, but have you had any assistance from the CAL FIRE Type 1 incident management teams? Thank you. Uh, great, yes. So um, your, your first question was, you know, sort of on average, how long does it take people to recover? And you know, unfortunately, we don't, we don't really have a sort of on average how long it's taking. We do know that uh, for people with relatively mild illness, uh, they're usually clearing, uh, you know, symptom-free, able to go back out and, and about, uh, no fever, uh, no symptoms for, you know, the, the seven days plus three. So somewhere between seven and ten, and ten days. Um, but again, you know, that's our requirement is that you absolutely, if you're positive, you do have to, you know, stay isolated for seven days and you have to have three days that are completely symptom-free and fever-free because that seems to be uh, the general pattern um, that for folks with mild illness. For folks with serious illness, uh, we've had folks that have actually been hospitalized for, for weeks. Um, so I think, again, uh, you know, there's really two distinct experiences and then probably lots of different experiences in between on the continuum from folks with relatively mild illness uh, who are recovering pretty quickly and then folks who uh, had very serious illness and it often takes weeks for them to in fact uh, get back to uh, a state where they're uh, feeling completely better. Thank you. And Dr. Galley? Yeah, hi. I'm sorry, I don't know the answer to your question, but uh, I will look into it and we'll get an answer back to you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Now I'm going to invite Supervisor Harris. All right, that's uh, Catherine Barger. They're wrapping up the press conference, at least the English version of the press conference from Los Angeles County regarding the latest updates. And uh, the part that we were most interested in 
Uh, a couple of things. Number one, when Catherine Barger, the chair of the County Board of Supervisors, was asked about the report today in the L.A. Times that they were looking at getting um, Alex Villanueva out from underneath, I guess if you could call it that, the uh, label of being in charge of the county's emergency response because of who he is as the sheriff. There was some discussion about the uh, the handling of the Woolsey fire and uh, Villanueva is technically, whoever the sheriff is, is the head of the county's emergency operations center. And there was some concern from Sheila Kuehl that anybody uh, who's dealing with law enforcement in general, especially a gigantic law enforcement agency the size of the L.A. County Sheriff's Department, that that person would also have run or say, at least over the health department, the homelessness outreach, placement and housing, all those types of things, when that person should be concentrating on law enforcement Catherine Barger was saying today, it doesn't matter who the, who's in charge right now. We're not arguing about that. We're just taking into account what's going on in the county and trying to make sure that we get this thing taken care of. Claudia, that was the first part. Claudia over at KNX was asking uh, about the health professionals that are being asked to reuse masks and the fact that if that's where we're at right now with a relatively small number of cases, when that surge hits which we are anticipating just as it's hit every other, just like New York, just like we've seen in Italy and Spain. The number of new cases is 421. So the total is now 1,216 positive coronavirus cases in the county. Now that, in terms of keeping in mind what that means, Dr. Ferrer said that that big leap in numbers of positive cases announced today is primarily due to the increased testing that we've seen. And it's coming in from all around the county. They had been putting out a list of individual cities where cases had been reported. It's basically every city in the county right now. So there, there, it's not like there are pockets of Los Angeles County where this doesn't exist. Although there are plenty of places where there's one case or maybe two cases. Um, In terms of those that have been hospitalized by all of this, of the positive cases, of the 1,216 positive cases in Los Angeles County, 253 people were hospitalized at some time or at any time is the way that they described it. So there may be still a couple of dozen or a few dozen people in the hospital now. But the majority of the people who were in the hospital are now out of the hospital. And the other important thing that she said, although it's frustrating because there's not enough context here, that the mortality rate for COVID-19 in Los Angeles has been 1.6 percent. That of the 1,216 positive cases, there have been 21 deaths in L.A. County, the 1.6 percent rate. That's a frustrating number because we simply do not know the number of people who have or have had COVID-19 because we're only, we've only tested thousands, not tens of or hundreds of thousands to get a better idea of just how many people have had this. Miami has announced a curfew now, 10 PM to 5 AM starting Friday. I'm thinking you're going to see more of that as well. Uh, It looks like Wall Street had a hell of a day. The Dow closing up 1351 to 22 uh, 552. That's about a, nearly a six and a half percentage hike there. 
The S&P 500 index is up 17% since Monday. They say it's had its best three-day run since 1933. On the day that we announce unemployment is at 3.3 million, right? Yeah. But they love that stimulus plan. I guess so. Uh, The House still has to vote on it and then go to the president for signature. It looks like it's going to happen. It's just uh, it has not yet happened. So. When we come back, a little bit more about these L.A. County numbers specifically that Dr. Ferrer was talking about. But um, today was supposed to be supposed to be opening day. We'll talk about some of the the great Major League Baseball players, current players, say their their best opening day memories. That'll be nice. Good distraction. Yeah. Gary and Shannon will continue. That game. I went to opening day every year, except for a couple when we started the show. This would have been Kershaw. Is this the home run year? Yeah. When he hits the home run? That's 2013. Yeah, I was there. Matt Cain. Oh my gosh. My dad loved Matt Cain. He thought he was going to have 60 wins in five years. I think we had a bet about it that nobody ever paid off on. Did he, uh, his dad, know that I look like Matt Cain? You do look like Matt Cain. Did I tell you that whole story? No. Last year at fantasy camp, the guy who was taking pictures for the camp is uh, uh, Andy Kuno, I think his name is, is the guy who takes pictures for the team, travels with the team, and is a regular San Francisco Giants photographer. And he took a picture of me pitching in one of the games and said, has anybody ever told you you look like Matt Cain? And I said, yeah, somebody has, but I mean, very few people would know it you know, to say it. And he shows me his phone. He had texted the picture of me to Matt Kane and That's said, true. this guy looks like you. And Matt Kane had responded. Yeah, he does look like me. I don't, but I don't have a brother. It was very funny. That's funny. That's my funny. That's my claim to fame. I miss Andre Ethier. What's he doing? Is he, he's still around, isn't he? I mean, he's a, like an advisor for the Dodgers or something. Uh, Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640 Live, everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. The update from Los Angeles County was significant. Dr. Barbara Ferrer announced 421 new positive cases in Los Angeles County and primarily said it was due to increased testing. There are a whole bunch of positives out there, people who do have coronavirus right now that simply don't know it, either because they are not showing symptoms, they're showing very mild symptoms, or they simply haven't been tested yet. There's also a delay. Some of the tests that have been performed or are being performed do take a day or two or three to get a result, and others are getting results within a couple of hours. So we're lagging behind in L.A. County and throughout the country. We're lagging behind because the the number of people who have been tested is still into the thousands and not the tens of thousands or uh, hundreds of thousands that we would expect at some point in the next several weeks. Well, Yahoo Sports did something cool and rounded up a bunch of opening day memories from several stars in Major League Baseball and compiled them for us. We'll start it with Clayton Kershaw. Clayton Kershaw says, On the morning of my favorite opening day last year's, I drove carpool. (laughs) I drove to Jock Peterson's house and to Justin Turner's house and to Rich Hill's house, picked them up at their curbs and drove to Dodger Stadium. I wasn't pitching that day for the first time in nine years. It was a shoulder thing. 
My preference would have been to pitch. My preference is to pitch all the rest of them for as long as I can. I was scheduled to pitch this year's. The experience of 2019's opening day, however, the first time in a long time I'd been a spectator for one, was a lot of fun. Eight home runs, two by jock, 53,000 people having a great time. Rather than the stress of preparing and performing, grinding out every pitch, I was able to look around, stand with my teammates, and enjoy it. It was special, and I hope I never have to do it again. (laughs) Isn't that great? Uh, John Cruck, the great John Cruck, one of the great personalities that comes out of baseball, former three-time All-Star, and right now he's an analyst for the Phillies. His favorite opening day, 1986, it just so happened to be played at Dodger Stadium, and it was also my first big league game. Fernando Valenzuela was pitching in 86 for the Dodgers, and since I played the four previous winters in Mexico, I knew all about Fernando. I was not starting that day, so I was lucky enough to be able to take it all in, just like Clayton was talking about. Fernando pitching, full house at Dodger Stadium. I was a nervous wreck. I did get in the game as a pinch runner. That may have been the last time, first and last time, John Cruck was ever put in as a pinch runner. He says, late in the game, top of the ninth, I ran, uh, pinch ran at first. Kevin McReynolds was on third. Carmelo Martinez was batting, and I was told if that first pitch was a ball, the hit and run was on on the second pitch. I knew Fernando had a great move to first, so our first base coach tells me, you are not stealing second base. Don't get picked off. It all backfired. I got a horrible jump. Carmelo didn't put the ball in play. I was out by a mile. As I was running off the field, my mind went to, I'm not sure I can play at this level with how nervous I was. Thank goodness I got over the nervousness somehow uh, and was able to play a few more years. That's great. Alex Rodriguez, he says, it was March 31st, 1996, inside the Kingdom, staring up at 57,000 people. He said he thought to himself, hadn't I just been standing on a high school field in the suburbs of Miami? Hadn't there been maybe 200 people there? Am I really a teammate of the Michael Jordan of baseball and of the greatest right-handed hitter of this generation, too? Are my knees shaking? Turns out they were. He says he was 20, was 65 major league games, and a 224 batting average behind him. There was Ken Griffey Jr., there was Edgar Martinez, already legends. So I felt fortunate and grateful and nervous. I also wondered what I was doing there among great players and in front of all these people. I was batting ninth was what I was doing and hoping not to foul it up for everyone else and also hoping no one could see my knees shaking. Mm. Uh, Bud Selig, Hall of Famer, former Milwaukee Brewers owner, former commissioner. He says uh, he had three, but I'll only read one of them. April 7th, 1970, he says, was about the happiest opening day of my life and happiest day of my life. Baseball returned to Milwaukee after five years. We were clobbered by the Angels 12 to nothing. But it was the only game the Brewers ever played where I didn't care who won. That they were here in Milwaukee was enough. Not everyone felt as I did, however. Afterward, I was walking down one of the ramps, and a man stops me and says, Are you Bud Selig? And I said, Yes. And he says, Well, you wanted a team in the worst way, and that's what you got. (laughs) Here's one. Here's one. Uh, Jose Altuve. It was last year's opening day when I realized we were going to cheat through the whole season, steal signs, ruin pitchers' careers, and win the World Series with a big fat asterisk behind that. Uh, that's mean. It's not mean. <laughs> Screw it that kid. Mean. Uh, oh, this um, Major League Baseball Network has been showing games, uh, historic games, great opening day games. Uh, they're currently showing the Dodgers hosting the Giants from several years ago when Clayton Kershaw started and hit a home run. And if I'm not mistaken, was the only run in the game? 
I'm not sure if that was. Uh, but Brandon Belt is up in this game. He was in my dream last night. You dreamt of Brandon Belt? Yeah. What was specifically? What was that, the dream about? That he has nothing to do. Like that the whole team was in L.A., but they are not playing baseball. And, and we like I ran into him in the parking lot or something like that and pretended to be cool with like, oh, I know who you are. But, you know, you I, I have to go to work. I can't stay here and talk to you. I have a job to do was yeah. my attitude towards it. Meanwhile, he's just looking around for something to do because he can't play baseball right now. You dream of men playing baseball. Yeah. All right. I don't know if I've ever had a football dream. But did you want to play football? No. See, that's different. I mean, sometimes. I did. Sometimes. You what? Wanted to play or had a football dream? Wanted to play. Yeah, see. But I've never had a dream. That's sad. It is sad. You I should find every, a dream. I think everybody should yeah. dream, bro. <laughs> uh, a reminder that tomorrow, somewhere around this time, I assume, uh, we're going to get to know Jacob a lot better. Oh. That's right. We're doing Meet Jacob Friday. Yeah. <laughs> what? I don't know. Ew. That's got to be phrased what? differently. Wait, why? Spell that. Meet Jacob yeah. Friday. Yeah. What's wrong with that? Spell meet. M-E-E-T. Okay. Just make it Phew. sure. Yeah. I didn't know how that was going to go. You guys make it weird. I know, right? Um, and just so Jacob knows. You don't get a list of questions before they come. Yeah, you're good. Oh, gonna, no. Yeah. yeah. It's going to go. Not, it's no, not one of those not, That's not good. No, it's not going to be good for you. Coming back, <laughs> Mark Saltzman uh, is going to join us. We're going to be talking tech stuff, how it is that you can stay connected apart mm. together. I love it. Gary and Shannon will continue. <laughs> Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the <laughs> iHeartRadio app. You did horror. You do not think on your toes on that I one. did not think on my toes. Uh, good day on Wall Street. Another good day on Wall Street. In fact, a uh, mm-hmm. pretty good win streak over the last couple of days, few days now. The S&P 500 saw the, the best three-day win streak uh, since, what is it, since 1933? Today, in general, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up over 6% at 1,351, uh, up 1,351 at 22,500. Uh, oil has lost a little bit more, but uh, still hovering right around $23 a barrel. And a lot of people have been seeing that gas is now, in some places in L.A., under 3 bucks a gallon. Hasn't been that I filled in a up long time. this morning with 286 that's pretty good. Well, it is Thursday. How about a little sense of normalcy as we check in with our tech talk guru, Mark Saltzman. The machines are getting smarter. This is Tech Talk, brought to you by Skynet. Well, Mark, how you doing up there? Uh, you know, it's a challenging time for everyone. So we're all cooped up at home and uh, hoping no, not, nobody gets uh, sick that we know, right? That's, yeah. I guess, what it's all about. 
Uh, I saw a good Facebook post today, which is where I go for all my correct information, (laughs) that uh, this whole coronavirus thing is a plot from whoever came up with the Zoom app. Right. Whoever had uh, uh, shares in Zoom. Yeah, that seems to be super popular. All video chatting platforms, whether it's Skype or Zoom, uh, Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp, FaceTime, the list goes on and on. What better way to stay connected, right? But Zoom, yeah, that's – man, they're on fire. They the, the company launched in 2011 with this little killer app out of uh, the uh, Silicon Valley area. And then in they went public last year. And then, boy, I can only imagine what their stock is worth now. But, yeah, it's a great way to keep in touch, not just with uh, one friend or one family member at the same time, but group chats. It's really fun and easy to set up a free call. Uh, there's some limitations with the free version of Zoom. I think it's like limited to 40 minutes, but you can have up to 100 friends, you know, bandwidth notwithstanding. And uh, it just kind of helps pass the time as we're all practicing uh, social uh, distancing and self-isolation. So that's, yes, yeah, uh, that's certainly a popular trend is video calling and not to mention for work purposes, as well as online education, even seeing uh, doctors and therapists are, are being done over video chatting. Also, uh, since we're having 65 meals a day uh, as we are working from home, it's important that we do stay fit. And it seems that there are a lot of free virtual classes out there. Yeah, at the very least, you're right. We're obviously living a little bit more of a sedentary lifestyle these days, um, especially if you're working from home. But at the very least, there are some free apps as well as online classes that are free that you can take over social media. So some of the more popular free fitness apps would be like seven minute workout and uh, tone it up is another one both of those don't require any uh, equipment that you may not own in your in, at your home but also for classes I mean there's a lot of gyms that are now having free daily classes over Facebook live I know planet fitness is one of them and you can you know partake in a class at four o'clock Pacific every day live with others with a certified instructor and some special guests sometimes and then if you missed it you can always go back and play a class uh, and work out on demand with a fitness class through Facebook or YouTube. So yeah, that's that's a good way to make sure that we don't all come out of this 30 pounds heavier. <laughs> no guarantees. No guarantees. No, absolutely not. Um, one of the things that I've noticed, and it's been making uh, some headlines, especially in Europe, is that Netflix and other streaming services have been lowering their quality to try to make sure that the internet does not fall apart when we're all sitting yeah. at home. Can you imagine how much harder this social uh, distancing would be if we had no internet? That would be really tough in today's day and age. So uh, th- there, I don't think there's much to worry about on sort of on, on a big level in terms of the uh, internet infrastructure. I think there's some safeguards in place to distribute the traffic to make sure that it all doesn't collapse because that would really be hell. But yeah, some companies are taking it upon themselves to ensure a good quality experience with their own servers to uh, to just take some, make some changes. And I know, yeah, yeah. So in Europe, Netflix said nobody can stream um, high definition or 4K video. It's only standard definition. So that way it's uh, taking some of the pressure off of Netflix's uh, server farms. And that way everybody can have a pretty good experience across the board. It's not a bad idea if you think about it. Uh, in terms of the Netflix and other things that you can stream, Netflix Party is out there yeah. now. What's, what's that about? 
again, it's a way of staying connected with your friends and your family, uh, even though we're physically apart. And this Netflix Party is a free add-on for Chrome browser users. So you need the Google Chrome web browser, and it's an extension, as it's called. So you do need uh, that. It's free, and you do need a Netflix account. But what you can do is watch your favorite uh, Netflix TV shows and movies. You can binge watch your favorite content with someone who is going to watch it simultaneously wherever they may be and even chat at the same time. So, you know, Gary and Shannon, you guys can be watching the same. I know you like the same shows. So I don't know. I'm just saying. Uh, and then you can actually, <laughs> you know, Love is Blind. I don't know. And, Who doesn't and then, like Love is Blind? Right, and right. Hate and Jessica. Then, <laughs> so you guys can Jeez. chat while you're watching the same content, even though you're both in your uh, each of, in your own home. So that's a kind of fun thing to do. Netflix party, uh, and not to mention other streaming services, also wildly popular right now, like Amazon Prime Video and Disney Plus and Apple TV Plus, and the list goes on and on. How are you doing uh, with the family altogether? Yeah, we're good. You know, a little stir crazy at times, but we're w- taking walks around the neighborhood and just keeping our distance and just to get out. I'm used to working from home, but uh, yeah, work's been a bit challenging. You know, I had like eight speaking gigs canceled between now and June, so that wasn't fun. But I'm still writing articles and uh, for USA Today, you know, Costco and AARP and doing a lot of TV interviews via Skype from my home office, but we're, we're keeping up okay. You know, my wife's a fitness instructor and a nutritionist, so she's making sure that we're all keeping healthy too. Yeah, and I was going to say, we, you know, our weather here has been chillier than normal, at least for Southern California. Next week, we're going to be 82 degrees, which uh, in Celsius, I think, is 406. <laughs> yeah, so that's good. That, that's nice. That's gonna, You're going to want to get outside, but yeah. uh, I'm sure the beaches are closed and everything. Nope, not that anybody in L.A. actually goes, like that's from L.A., goes to the beach. I, I get that. <laughs> but uh, we had problems in Vancouver where it's nowhere near that warm. People were uh, congregating on beaches until the the provincial government stepped in and said, okay, this is not a good idea. So we've been mandated to stay at home regardless of what's happening outside. Mark, thank you. We appreciate it. Good luck. Me too. Thanks, guys. You bet. Mark Saltzman there with the latest on our tech stuff, of course. And you can follow Mark on Twitter. Mark with a C, Mark underscore Saltzman. All right. Um, When we come back, a little bit more about uh, a recap quickly of what L.A. County came out with today and also more about what's going on with the Senate passage of the $2.2 trillion aid plan and what the House is doing, sitting on their thumbs. Gary and Shannon will continue. Shannon, KFI AM640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Well, we got an update from L.A. County Public Health Department. Seen quite the increase here in this county. 465 new cases. Now the total's at at least 1,216. There has been a dramatic increase in testing, which is why you're seeing the number rise. We've got about 3,000 cases of coronavirus in California. 65 people have died. Uh, can we talk first? Steve Gregory is joining us. He was in on that uh, news conference. And um, can we talk first about the increase in testing? Yeah. Uh, Dr. Ferrer had sig- said that's a significant jump, 421 new but positive cases. she's been cases. saying this all along. Yes. He was going to. You know, I, there was a question I had for you earlier, and I don't know if you have an answer to this or would think about it. Maybe come back tomorrow and talk to us about it. What is the best number for people to pay attention to? Because the number of tests done is not really a good indicator. The number of positive tests even every day is not a great indicator because, as she mentioned, 
primarily the big number was due to the increased number of tests that we've seen. Right. So that's not even a great indication as to how big or pervasive the infection is throughout the community. So, and, and that's you know, that's a great question. And I asked uh, Dr. Ferrer that I believe it was uh, on Monday. I asked her the question: Why are the numbers important? Why are why are the numbers of positive cases important to tell us, as opposed to just maybe the numbers of dead mm-hmm. or the numbers of uh, in hospitals or whatever the case is? And she said it's part of a. She says it's part of a painting. She says it's part of painting an overall picture of being transparent that people need to know the the spread of this. It also helps them for modeling, and it helps her and her team get a a pretty big picture of where this thing is going and how far spread it is. But it also helps her to be able to illustrate the point to people that it's all over the county. We have twelve hundred cases now. And uh, they're spread out in all corners. When it was a few dozen cases, I remember you came in with a list of the cities mm-hmm. where it had the specific areas in L.A. County where it had appeared. And that list now is ridiculously large. Sure. It's, it's, it's to her point what she said today. It's everywhere. Yeah. It's everywhere within the county. Yeah. Uh, but you were able to ask a question as well today. Uh, yeah. Well, I asked the um – the length of of the I can't I'm trying to find the right word the lifespan I think she she said basically the the length of recovery once you get infected with the virus what's the median time or the length of time that it stays in someone's body and it right. gets out and she says between seven to ten days I just thought it was interesting for people to know that if you do get it and you do you are symptomatic and then she said but some with the more severe cases have been in the hospital for weeks so I just was wanting her to illustrate the length of 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 its life in someone's body. And she's said a couple of times, and we tried. I tried to clarify it yesterday after she had said it, if you are positive, if you've tested positive, or if you're presumed positive, or even if you've just taken a test and you're waiting for results, that her direction and the direction that came from the health office uh, that is a legally enforceable order is right. that you have to isolate for at least seven days. Right. Uh, or I think it's uh, – or – after the seven or after your fever has broken for 72 hours and you're not showing any symptoms, whichever happens to be longer. Right. She says it's the, the fever or asymptomatic for three days in a row. And then and that's why she calls it the seven days plus three. What stuck out to me in that press conference was the fact that we have not seen the surge yet in L.A. County. And it's only a matter of, of days, probably. Right. And, uh, I, and if we're already having health professionals reuse masks at this point with the relatively small number of cases, oh, we're screwed. Well, you know, I get a lot of, I'm sure as you do, I'm getting emails from so many different people that are affected by this in the in the medical field, in the military, in the cop field and all this. There's stuff. some dark humor going on in the medical community of, uh, you know, dark memes and things being passed sure. passed around, like get ready for your gynecologist to intubate you because y- the, you need so many doctors and health professionals that are going to be doing things that are not their focus, that there are doctors reading manuals on how to intubate right. because right. they're going it's going to be all hands on deck and you know you might have your you know ophthalmologist in there you're right and and i think to the point of one of the reporter's questions about you know and and you could tell the reporter seemed pretty agitated about the question of the state of preparedness and the state of readiness in the county and i don't know that we really got the answer I think no. there was a lot of a lot of words. Well, they don't want you to freak out. They no. don't want you to panic, and that's great. And and uh, but you know, 
Bless you. Not a symptom. Bless you. Um, Thank you. And here's the thing. Even if the county tried to get... Still not a symptom. One more time. One more time. Then public health order goes into effect. Um, uh, Even if they tried to order all the masks and the respirators and the ventilators and all that stuff uh, a week or two weeks or even a month ago, where are they going to get it from? You know, it's it's a supply demand issue. Right. And Governor Newsom said something interesting the other day when he was talking about the amount of ventilators coming into the state because they were asking those on a state level question. And he said L.A. County was going to be getting an awful lot of ventilators because of a unique relationship that L.A. County has with suppliers. And I never did get clarification on what that meant. The unique relationship. Hmm. So I don't know whether, you know, for whatever reason, we have uh, better access, which is great for us. But the picture they portray today in this is that (laughs) they have everything under control. Now, what concerns me also is that Dave Lopez's question about the sheriff, because that was going to be my question. Dave beat me to it, but I was prepared for, you know, the relationship with the Board of Soups and the sheriff. And you could tell right away how agitated Catherine Barger got because she doesn't want to talk about that. But here's the thing. It's about confidence, and it's about people's confidence in its leadership. And, and, and if you've got people infighting, and I'll tell you right now, without a doubt, there is a lot of ego play behind the scenes. There is an awful lot of uh, people uh, you know, marking their territory, and there's an awful lot of this infighting going on within the county, within the city, and within the state. I mean, it, it, it's, it's massive right now. And then you take with that the issues with the medical field, and and I'm getting people, to, you know, emailing me stuff about uh, supplies and this, that, and the other. But I have to balance this with sometimes because I, you know, I'm trying to figure out whether this warrants me digging a little deeper or not. Sometimes people um, they use that information to sort of get something done that they were trying to get done before. If that makes sense, it's more of an agenda-driven. Email mm-hmm. as opposed to something that's more acute and it, it needs to be at hand. So I have to balance that because sometimes I've been led down bad paths before because it looks really horrible on the surface. And I find out it, it's one person's agenda and mm-hmm. I have to really balance this thing. So, um, But that and then the question I had about Cal Fire today, which is something that I was, Now explain that. The teams that you were talking about in the question was. Well, you guys have all covered wildfires sure. and you know there's you know three levels. There's a type one, type two, type three incident command team. And these are some of the most. Uh, I mean, some of the best trained individuals on the planet in terms of dealing with crises. And when the H1N1 outbreak happened, I had been reminded that these type one incident management teams have been deployed immediately. And what they do is they station them in Northern central and Southern California so that they can help to manage distribution chains, medical supplies, and this, that, and the other. I'm told right now that our best trained teams are sitting on their butts with no orders. Dr. Barbara Ferrer from L.A. County Public Health is on the line to uh, to update us. Uh, Dr. Ferrer, we saw and listened to the news conference. Hmm. Uh, we, there we, we, we Can you hold on one second, please? Oh, uh, unfortunately, hold music. we can't uh, but, because we have to get going. Um, well, that's... Yeah. Our time is up. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> that was quick. Yeah. All right. Well, we tried to shoehorn that in and couldn't get to it. Um, John and Ken coming up next. And uh, we'll do all of this again tomorrow, right? Yeah. A little lighter tomorrow, perhaps. Yeah. Well, we're going to we'll see what we can do. Yeah, we'll see what we can do. Stay dry, everybody. Yeah. Blessings. <laughs> oh. oh, Gary and Shannon. He's giving it the big build up there and he did not deliver at all. What a shame. Nobody wants to see that.